Our preseason previews continue this week, and we are going to talk about a division with a lot of wild cards and a couple of bottom feeders that are going to stick up the entire league, but they have a lot of futures to look forward to. Episode 336 takes a look at the Central Division, and it starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, I believe Arizona is the first bottom feeder we're going to talk about, Brett. So we might as well yeah. get the bottom feeders out of the way early. Yeah, I was just telling Steve this, that like we, we always do these alphabetically by division. And yeah, it just so happens that Arizona and Chicago are the first two teams that we're going to talk about. And yeah, yeah only gets better from there. Exactly. <laughs> I guess yeah, we can like work our way up. It's like a top ten episode kind of thing, but except it's a top eight, and uh, it's only a quarter of the league. But um, yeah, there there is something there. Um, yeah, so Arizona Coyotes, uh, they they stunk last year. They're going to stink again this year. Um, although there are a couple of players that are that are going to be like you know that you're going to look forward to seeing Clayton Keller finally brought it onto his own. Uh, Nate Schmidt, uh, not Nate Schmidt, Nick Nick Schmaltz. I don't know why I said Nate Nate Schmidt. That guy's in Winnipeg. Nate um, Schmaltz. Nate Schmaltz. Yeah. Uh, he he's finally gotten going on um, this this past year. Uh, Lawson Krause also had a decent year as well. Um, and um, also, I should mention, too, that this is going to be the first year where they're going to be playing at a college arena in Arizona State, uh, which is both kind of cool and also embarrassing. Um, yeah. Uh, but, like, I don't know, because it's like I go to a couple of college hockey games um, every um, – not since the pandemic started, but before the pandemic. I went to a couple here, and it's like – it's a very small arena compared to it, but it, it could be, like, I could see it being very, very cool, a cool experience to just have, like, an actual, like, you're, like, inches from from any of these NHL players' faces and things like that. So I could see it being kind of a cool experience, but, like, just the fact that, like, the Arizona Coyotes are reduced to playing in a college arena where it's, like, at most a 1,000 people, or I, I think it's like the capacity is like a thousand five hundred, um, and um, I mean that's not like small, but or it's not like small, but it's not big, obviously. So it's just I don't know, it's kind of crazy. Um, and then also I should mention that well, Jacob Trickern, who is their uh, defenseman, um, who led the league in goal uh, defenseman in goals uh, two years ago. Um, he is injured right now, um, and he has also um, s- declared that he is not, he wants a trade out. Uh, I guess he, um, I was thinking about this, he, he gets the uh, J- Jack Eichel Award uh, for guys who are injured, although it's not the same thing, I guess, because he's not like unhappy um, with management, but he's just, um, he wants to play for a contender, and I don't really blame him. Um, and it's not like there's a surgery 
thing that he wants to have and the Arizona is refusing to get for him. But it is similar in the fact that he wants to go to a contender. He's a very good uh, player, um, and uh, like every team will want him. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and like I, I think for like the first until he's traded, that's gonna be like some. There's gonna be some speculation on where he's actually gonna go. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that in in, in due time. Um, do you want to talk about the Arizona? Like, what you think of Arizona before I get into my players to watch? So, um, they're going to have a time trying to figure out who their number one center is. Because currently on the top line, it's Travis Boyd. Yep. Uloki had a pretty good season last year. But, I mean, a guy who's never hit 40 points in his career hasn't really gotten the playing time to do that. Uh, the fact that he's your first line center kind of just goes to show you how starved so, you are for center depth. I actually, um, um, actually, correction here. I have here that it's Nick Schmaltz is the first line center. Well, that would be the most ideal, but according to Daily Faceoff, last update, September 26th, they had put Travis Boyd as the center. Okay. So maybe it's an idea that they're toying with, but yeah, I have here. Uh, I would probably, pr- pr- I'd probably go with Schmaltz. Yeah. Like to pick and choose. I yeah. I, um, maybe it's like yeah. maybe it's because like maybe they they played uh, Travis Boyd in an exhibition game or something like that. So uh, according to Cap Friendly, I have Nick Schmaltz up here and Barrett Hayden as the second line center. Um, so I I imagine those are the two. Um, but okay. Anyways, yeah. Sorry. Just yeah, so I just wanted to grab that. Line less than Hayden's the second line. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jack yeah, McBain sure. is the third line. Uh, yeah. So, so needless to say, um, when you look at the amount of contracts um, that they have, you'll notice there's a lot of short-term contracts. Andrew Ladd is not expected to play this year. His cap hit's going to be gone after this year. Yeah. Nick Ritchie is going to be a free agent after this year. They brought in Nick Bukestag on a one-year deal, uh, so he's going to be a UFA after this season is done. Shane Gostisbehere, arguably the best defenseman, not Nick Jacob Chikorin, is also a UFA. He, uh, if he continues to play like the way he did last year, he could get a significant return yeah, there. That's true. Uh, Troy Stetcher, they brought in on a one-year deal as well. They have a couple of guys on uh, restricted free agent contracts, Jack McBain being the main guy uh, after this season. And then uh, they also have Alex Chase on, on a PTO uh, at uh, this point in time. We'll see if he turns that into a contract. And uh, in due time, they'll have even more cap space when Brian Little's contract comes off the books. He's got two years left on that, of course. Uh, he'll never play a game for them because, uh, unfortunately, um, that's the crappy hand he was dealt. And due to health reasons, injuries, um, his initial career is likely done. He they also play. have a lot of prospects winning in the wings. Nathan Smith, you mentioned. Jack McBain, you mentioned. Matthias McKelly uh, is going to be an RFA after this year uh, as well. So is Ian Yannick. Um, there, there are a lot of guys to be excited for. And, of yeah. course, you have guys like Dylan Genther um, yet to make a mark in the AHL and definitely will uh, at some point down the line. Uh, they, of course, have uh, other options uh, as well. If you take a look at uh, the guys they have uh, on their reserve list, uh, you have Ian, uh, Liam Kirk, rather, 
uh, currently in the system. So you have him to look forward to as well. Uh, Logan Cooley, who they drafted third overall. Uh, Shane Doan's son, Josh, is also a part of the fold. Um, just to name a few, there there's a lot of uh, potential options for the Coyotes to get excited about. And I think for the Coyotes, it's important to not develop a loser's mindset. Yeah. Because this team gave up 315 goals and only scored 207. So that's a negative 106 goal differential, which yep. uh, is not great. Not ideal at all in the slightest. They don't have Phil Kessel anymore. Um, they probably could do better without Louis Erickson, without Jay Beagle, without Antoine Roussel, without Alex Gauchenyuk. But Phil Kessel, who departed in free agency, was arguably their best forward last year. Um, and well, that's if, if you're Arizona, you, you need to keep uh, going down the road of short terms because there's not really that much appeal to go around other than the future. You have a first-round pick this year, a, fir- a sec- um of one second and two thirds. Then a year after that, you have a first three seconds and four thirds. And then the year after that, you have a first four seconds and a third. So it's all about stockpiling those assets for Bill Armstrong, getting the winner's mindset on a losing team. Because if you're in a situation where there's no hope, it's going to get to a point where Clayton Keller wants out. It's going to get to a point where Nick Schmaltz wants out. Mm-hmm. And that's where they don't want to be. When your guys are getting good, but the second you want to commit to them, they're just like, well, I don't want to commit to you. This place sucks. We're always losing. We're yeah. not getting any better. Uh, why should I sign long-term to stay here if it's going to be more the same crap? Yeah. So uh, I think it's important to develop that winner's mentality, even though they are more than likely going to lose 50-plus games again this year. Yeah. their team is just not good. So uh, first off, you, you said that Phil Kessel was their best forward last year. That is not even close to true because he had a down but, year. I mean, not by points, but just like in terms of like overall resume, I would say he was okay. their best forward. Career-wise, yes, of course, but that that's, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I'm staring at Clayton Keller, who somehow had 63 points in 67 games on this terrible hey, if Phil team. Kessel got 25 goals, he probably would have surpassed Yeah, but like, Phil yeah. Kessel didn't score much. Right, right, he just didn't score, but like, I, I'm like, looking here, like, Clayton Keller um, was incredible, especially, like, I feel like it's a lot harder to be a good, on, like, a team that's destined to, to lose all the time. So yeah, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So so kudos for Clayton Keller who had sixty three points in sixty seven games, um, until he got hurt uh, towards the end. Nick Schmaltz is another one, fifty nine points in sixty three games. Shane Gossespierre, I think we've mentioned that before, but he had fifty one points in eighty two games for them. I'll even like shout out uh, Carol Velzmelka. Um, I know his statistics don't um, like you know it's not impressive because it's like, you know, they're playing on a defensive team, but there were like, when you watch him play, like he, he made like, there were times when he would like save like 40 shots a game and things like that. So it's like, like he is like a shot, like a, he could be pretty deep. Like if you don't care about wins in your, in your fantasy league, um, he might be a, or I guess you should care about wins. So maybe he's not the best option, but, um, but yeah, he is, uh, He's, he could be pretty good once they he, have he was, better he, defense. So he, he, he made 49 starts, okay? Right. 
52, actually, it says here, but, yeah. Uh, 52 games played, 49 starts. But, yeah, yeah he, he appeared in 52 games, started for, uh, 49 of them. Yes. He went 13-32-3, and three, as you might expect, not great. 898 save percentage, though, despite a 3.68 yeah. goals against average and even pitched a shutout. He faced the 12th most shots. Yep. Like, he was facing a lot of rubber. In fact, uh, just under, just uh, above him was Tristan Jerry, yeah. uh, who had 1,711 shots faced. Uh, Carol faced uh, 1,669 oh, shots, which yeah. uh, most people might think is nice, but uh, if you're if you're facing a lot of rubber on a bad team, probably not so. Right, right. Yeah, I, I guess my point is, it's like once you build like a decent defense around him, he could, he might not be a bad goaltender. So, but. Yeah, like Ilya yeah. Sorokin below him, 1,643 yeah. shots. But you look at the Islanders' defense, much more equipped right. to at least yeah. limit the amount of high-quality shots he's facing. Yep, yeah, that's a good example. Um, in terms of players to watch, I was, I mean, I did mention Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, and Shane Gossespierre. Those are their three best players right now. Um, and yeah. they're they're going to be, you know, good to watch even still. Like, even Lawson Kraus is... Could be uh, fun to watch because he's like a one of those like power forwards in the making, um, and he could get he could get into an extra gear there, um, but um, and I was also thinking of like maybe talking about Dylan Gunther, um, Nathan Smith is another one, um, Matthias Michelli um, as well, but um, I'm actually gonna go with uh, Jack McBain because um, he. Um, he is it well first off you were talking about the center situation where like we it feels like Barrett Hayden hasn't lived up to his potential um he's he's the second line center there but um and the Coyotes did just draft Logan Cooley they're probably going to try to get Connor Bedard or um Anthony Fintilli who are both centers um so there is a chance for that but in the meantime you have this guy named Jack McBain um, and, um, and if you didn't realize he was a prospect for Arizona, I don't blame you because he was in fact drafted by Minnesota wild in 2018 as a third rounder. Um, and then, um, in his senior year at Boston college, uh, he had 33 points in 24 games, which is, I, I think that's pretty good. Um, but because of like there like he's he did what uh like Blake Wheeler did Kevin Hayes Jimmy BC did in the past where he signed with a team that wasn't drafted uh, by him and he, he looked at the, like all the teams out there and thought that he had the best shot of being uh, of getting some playing time in Arizona compared to where he would be in Minnesota even though Minnesota could use some centers I I think he is like. He was probably thinking like, okay, well they have Marco Rossi, uh, yeah. Erickson Eck there, uh, Ryan Hartman's getting some some noise there too. So it's like, whereas for Arizona, like they don't. This was before they even drafted Logan Cooley. It's like, okay, they like there there is something to work here. Um, and he, that moment when yeah. a guy chooses Arizona over Chicago, right? Yeah. <laughs> And a similar type thing happened for uh, Nathan Smith, um, who went to Minnesota State, um, where Dryden McKay um, played for. Um, Nathan Smith was like the best, um, uh, like skater on Minnesota State, um, and then um, he 
he was uh, drafted by Winnipeg, but he also went to Arizona for a similar reason as Jack McBean did. Um, what I find interesting, um, well, first off, Nathan Smith had like, like they both played their last 10 games in Arizona, um, and Nathan Smith had five points in the 10 games, whereas Jack McBain had three points in 10 games. What's interesting, though, is that uh, Nathan Smith most recently is being, got sent down uh, to Tucson of the AHL affiliate, and McBain um, is still on the team here. Uh, which means that like Arizona like thinks that there's more potential for McBain um, to exist compared to Nathan Smith. I mean, there is potential that I guess Nathan Smith will eventually probably be called up soon too. But um, I'm intrigued by this. So I, I mentioned that he uh, McBain played in ten games. Uh, do you want to guess how many hits he had in those ten games, Steve? How many hits? Yeah. I'm going to go with 22. Uh, actually, surprisingly close. 33 hits in 10 games. Ooh. So uh, that's 3.3 hits per game. That's yeah. pretty good. And he did this with 14 minutes of ice time on average. <laughs> mm. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's uh, he, like he does have potential to score a lot more because uh, he did have he did have over a point per game in college. But like it's incredible that he's like he like he's just a hitter basically like even if he doesn't score like you'll take a, a bunch of hitters like that so um, so I, I thought that that stood out to me uh, with McBain is that he's not just like he he could score but um, but like the fact that he can hit a lot is something that uh, could be useful and something that we don't really see often in these time um, in this day and age. Um, and it's like, kind of like it's very similar to uh, like a Lawson Krause. Um, so, anyways, I, I feel like we spent so much time on Arizona. I don't want to get there, but um, and it, he, you know, we probably will never mention Jack McGain, McBain again um, unless he's really good all of a sudden. But um, I thought like he could be like a, a player if you if you happen to be watching Arizona, you'll be like, oh, okay, Jack McBain. Brett t- told me about him. The other, the other guy I want to uh, give a shout-out to, and I've already given a shout-out to, is Travis Boyd. I yep. said he had 17 goals and 35 points in 74 games, which, you know, on a team like Arizona, I'd say is pretty good. He only took 88 shots, which means his shooting percentage is 19.3% on those 17 goals. Yeah. And he averaged 16.31 per game, and he was only a minus 10 on a team that had a negative goal differential over 100. Yeah. So... Uh, not saying this is the second coming of Michael Bunting, but he could be. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is um, that will. I yeah, I don't I don't know about that. Um, I'm gonna go out of a limb and say that's not gonna happen. But maybe you know, not in Arizona, but it could be elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot to do the ads and the loser the losers that they had. Um, they added Zach Cassian, Nick Bukestad, Troy Stetcher, Josh Brown, Patrick Nemeth, John Gillies, and JS. Uh, Dea. Uh, they lose Phil Kessel, Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Alex Galchenyuk, Anton Strahlman, Dimitri Jaskin, Johan Larson, uh, Kyle Capobianco, and Harry Sateri um, is who they lose. Okay, so now we go to uh, Chicago uh, where they add Peter Morazic, Max Domi, um, Andreas Athanasiu, Colin Blackwell, Jack Johnson, 
Stay Lock, Alex Stay Lock, uh, Buddy Robertson, and uh, Dylan Sequeira, um, who they lost, as we've talked about a bunch already. Uh, Alex DeBrincat, Kirby Dock, um, Dak, um, Dominique Kubelik, Dylan Strom, Kevin Lincoln, Calvin DeHaan, um, Henrik Borgstrom, Brett Connolly, Eric Gustafson, Colin Delia, Y. Kalinick. Um, yep. You just have Gabriel here. I don't know who that yeah, is. Yeah, Curtis Gabriel or, uh, is uh, retired, so okay. uh, he's gone as well. And I think this is Chad Chris. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yeah, so uh, Chicago, by the – I mean, we've talked about their like the trade that sent DeBrincat over to Ottawa. We, we talked about the trade that sent – uh, Kirby Doc to uh, Montreal. We talked about Dylan Strom when we were talking about Washington uh, last time. So, like they they traded a lot of their guys, um, and to the point where there's only like two two guys on their top six um, that are still on the team from last year. And, oh, sorry, three guys, I guess. Um, one is uh, Jonathan Taze, one is Patrick Kane, and the other is Tyler Johnson. Although I guess technically Taylor Radish counts as well because that was in a trade from last year for uh, Brandon Hagel, but um, but that's still like kind of crazy that like of like if you were counting last season, this was a completely different team. Um, you say yeah, you know what's you know what's even worse? The only guy who is under contract beyond this season out of those three guys you just mentioned is Tyler Johnson. Right, right, right. That that is insane. Um, I think Tyler Johnson, what happened to him? Because there was a moment where he, like, he did have some buzz, but I guess it's just, he kind of fell off. Yeah, he had a bit of injuries at the start That's of the year, right. if I recall correct. And he was okay, but yeah. not nearly to what he was in Tampa. Yeah, but, like, even in Tampa, it felt like he fell off, too. I guess it was like Braden Point kind of took over his role. Um, yeah, yeah, to an extent in his final career, yeah. uh, final years of his career in Tampa yeah. Bay, he did kind of fall off offensively. Yeah. But he, he was playing a serviceable role even in the bottom six right. if he was put down there. I and see. he had a couple of decent playoff runs um, before he left as well. Interesting. Um, but now that there's not really that insulation around him like there was in Tampa and Chicago, yeah. well, then then, <laughs> then you got what you got last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then before I let you speak um, about the Blackhawks here um, – you have here, well, you have two things here. One is Kane and Tay is not happy with the Hawks rebuild, likely out the door this season. I imagine yeah. Patrick Kane gets traded uh, during the deadline. Um, I don't think anyone is going to be interested in Jonathan Tay's, um, as weird as that sounds, just because he had a terrible season last year. I know he was recovering, but um, I... I, and it seems like he just has a terrible personality, basically, um, where he was, like, just upset. Like, he seems like he gets upset about, like, every little thing. Like, when I remember back when the Brandon Hagel um, trade happened, he kind of, like, publicly mentioned that he couldn't, he doesn't understand why, um, why they did that. It's just, like, I don't know. It, it feels like the whole world, uh, the whole hockey world has turned on Jonathan Tate's. Maybe it has something to do with the Kyle Beach thing, but it's like uh, at least Patrick Kane has lived up or like has has done like some stuff 
um, or like has proven that he is good enough. Whereas Jonathan Taze hasn't been as good as he can be. I mean, given the fact that he is injured, it's it's still like I don't I don't I I would be shocked if any team uh, gets him. I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. I shouldn't say that because he he you know. He did win three times. The Hawks will have to take on a lot of his yeah, salary, and I'm calling my salary. shot now. He will on the Vegas Golden Knights at some point this season. I'm Interesting. Now. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I guess yeah. I could see that. I, I, I guess it's... Cup, and hey, this guy has won three of them in his career, regardless of what his numbers say today. I guess, I guess I'm just thinking that, like, because both he and Kane both cost $10.5 million, um, and the, as much as cap space as the Blackhawks have... I'm not sure if, like, I guess they could just, like, retain 50% on both of them. It's just, like, I feel like if you're... You'd have to retain any yeah. any amount of value to get them to move. Because, right. again, I can't emphasize this enough. They have no move clauses. They control where they go. Yeah, that's a good so point. So they might not, not have a choice. If, if if Kane wants to go to Buffalo or he wants to go to the Rangers, well, then the Hawks have to deal with those teams because that's where Kane wants to go. I, no, yeah, I guess that's a fair point, but it's it's not just the no movement clause that's the issue. It's the fact that he's like ten point five million. Uh, so uh, that, yeah. that's that's more the thing where I'm like, I'm not sure if any team is going to want to like Patrick Kane. I can understand because he's still a good player, um, but for for Jonathan and especially, I would assume Chicago is going to retain. But I, I don't see how they would be able to do that with uh, with uh, Taze. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Um, and then uh, also, I don't know if you saw this, but Luke Richardson on on like they showed a video on Twitter that Luke Richardson on the first day of uh, of like practice or like for the media, uh, he brought the entire media of like a bottle of beer basically. Uh, which I, which I think is like, it, it's kind of like, um, it's a nice like a gift because it's like he's acknowledging that this team's gonna stink, and he wants. <laughs> There's to, more where this yeah, came from, and exactly. you'll every single. So it's time. just like, hey, like let let's uh, let's enjoy this. Like we're not, we're not gonna be good, but let's let's enjoy this year. So I'm gonna give you yeah. some beer. Let's have fun while yeah. we're losing. So so I. I, I Oddly enough, like I, I like that move, even though it's like <laughs> you're basically admitting that your your um your team's gonna stink. But like you know, it's. I mean, there've been a lot of things that uh, they blow key admitted that they're gonna yeah. stink. Yeah. So so <laughs> so, so I the trades yeah. Made. So I appreciated that. Um. Yeah, and I guess I guess it's like yeah, the Chicago like they shouldn't have traded DeBrincat or they could have gotten more out of DeBrincat. They could have gotten more of Doc. Um and. Uh, they just let go of Strom and Kubalik, so they and they could have just gotten those guys as well. But I don't know. I guess it's like if they do finish in the top three this year in the, in the draft, yeah, this is a good season for them because that's what they want to be doing. Yeah, they they need the futures and they know yeah. it. At the moment, they have two firsts, two seconds, two thirds this year, two firsts, a second, and two thirds the year after that. And then one of each, a first, a second, and a third um, in the 2025 NHL draft. I assume they're going to stockpile on a lot of draft picks. And they're going to get whatever futures they can for each and every unrestricted free agent that that they have. And you look at uh, some of the buyouts. Like, they bought up Brett Conley. They bought out Henrik Bjorkstrom. They have uh, Keith's recapture penalty. It's going to cost them $5.53 million this year. 1.5 
1.93 million the year after that, and then he saw the books. Uh, Jake McCabe still injured, uh, played 75 games last year, but it looks like he's on IR to start the year. And you also have a lot of uh, key RFAs coming up, and this year is going to be important to, you know, maybe appease them that the future is bright. Guys like Ian Mitchell, guys like Alec Regula, uh, Evan Barrett as well. Uh, there's uh, Caleb Jones in the mix, Philip Kershev, uh, Nicholas Bodine, another defensive prospect uh, that they have there. And even the guys that they just drafted, like you, you want to give them something to look forward to instead of piling on the garbage of, yeah, get used to us being bad. There's no hope for you. Um, and, and again, I mentioned it when Luke Richardson was hired. You need a guy that's going to make it enjoyable to go to the rink every day, at least make your job somewhat worthwhile. And that gesture uh, to the media is, is, is a good uh, example of that. Um, but it, it's, it's just going to be the players and the work environment, um, if, if, if anything. Like, for example, when the Sens in 2017-18, they were going through all that off-ice stuff, and then it got, and then word got out that uh, there was the uh, Carlson versus Hoffman feud, right? Yeah. Uh, in 2018-19, a lot of people thought that team, with people going out the door, that it was a team of dysfunction. And I think it was Matt Duchesne who was asked about the locker room and uh, the camaraderie and the off-ice swagger, and he said, we had a lot of fun coming to the rink every day. We were a pretty close-knit group. The, the results just weren't showcasing, you know, how good we were. And uh, I know that the offense kind of withered away after the likes of Matt Duchesne left and Mark Stone uh, following him out the door uh, at the 2019 trade deadline. But prior to that, their offense actually wasn't that bad for a team that was going through a lot of internal changes. But again, they just couldn't keep the puck out of the net. And um, it's probably going to be an even more concerning scenario than last year. Because last year, at least you had Marc-Andre Fleury for half the season. Kevin Lankinen was on a down year, but there was some sort of potential. Instead of keeping Kevin Lankinen, they just let him walk for nothing. And he goes to a division rival because that's that's the way the world works. Um they bring in Peter Morazic because uh, Colin Delia is also gone. Uh, they traded Malcolm Subban to Buffalo midway through last year, so they no longer have him. Uh, so Peter Morazic and uh, whoever's the backup are going to have their hands full. And last year they gave up 291 goals. Easily they're going to give up 300-plus this year. And they'll be lucky if they get to even like 250 goals. Um, offensively speaking, this team is a shell of what it was. And I'm uh, just, just the way that they owned the money like crazy and didn't get future assets and the way they offloaded their young guys. Um, again, I, I worry about the financial stability of the Chicago Blackhawks now, because after everything that's gone on with the pandemic and the Kyle beach stuff, I, I do wonder financially if there's reason to be concerned about it. I have no definitive proof of that. Um, but it, it just seems like e- even with those young contracts, they're just getting rid of them. Like yeah. it's nothing. Well, like, not... like you're buying out Henry Bjorkstrom and Brett Conley. Like why are you buying out those guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, Dylan Str- buying out Dylan Strom and Kubalik is even odder. Uh, too. Well, no, not even buying them out. Not even giving them a qualifying offer. Right, they they want for nothing as well. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I on that note, I know that um, the uh, Davidson, the GM, he uh, mentioned that they have a five-year plan. Um, and I yeah. think, as I was mentioning a couple of minutes ago, I think like they're like yeah, they're probably not going to like you know they could have gotten more out of DeBrincat, they could have gotten more out of Kirby Doc and all those guys that we just mentioned who they bought out um, or didn't even qualify. Um, but I think there is something to the fact that like they like they said that they're not going to compete until five years from now. So it's like this is like a five-year plan. So maybe they're like you know right now it's it's going to be like sad and it's it's not it's going to be miserable for anyone in Chicago, but I I think they um, you know they, they could end up being like what Colorado is because remember Colorado used to be like one of the worst teams for a couple of years, um, and and then all of a sudden they they get uh, Landis Cog they get McKinnon a few years after that they get. Miko Ranton in, they get, um, and then they slowly build, like, they luck out and get Kale McCarr, and they luck out and get Bowen Byram, but, like, in between that, they weren't that good of a team, um, so it's, like, I, I think they're, like, pretty slowly, like, you know, yeah, they're gonna phase out Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, but I think it's, like, because, the like, their public reception right now is very, very poor, based off of like what Rocky Wirtz said in at that town hall meeting, the whole yeah. Kyle, uh, Kyle Beach situation still reverberates there. It's like not until Kane and Taze are gone, like will people forget about Kyle Beach. And um, so they just want to turn over a new lease. So I can kind of understand why they just like traded all these players for nothing. Uh, because I, I think they just really just want to like start over. And, and so to that extent, I can kind of understand it, but like maybe, yeah, once they like, let's say they do get Connor Bedard, then yeah, all of this stuff that they've done in the off season is worth it, um, just from that standpoint. Worth it in theory, and the reason I say that is because in five years, you're expected to be good. Yeah. But as we know with the Buffalo Sabres, there is a scenario. Oh, yeah where you're expected to be good and then it doesn't happen and you're consistently losing and then you have to rebuild rebuild fair but like for for every buffalo sabers there's a colorado avalanche there's a edmonton oilers there's a um even like a winnipeg jets you know like like teams that just build by the draft um so like you know like yeah buffalo is has had very terrible luck, but there's a lot of teams that have had pretty good success with it. So, um, also, yeah. if if you're Kyle Davidson, don't grow the habit that Stan Bowman did by trading uh, the guys you drafted in the first round a few years down the road. Fair, and, yeah. Like, yeah. be patient with them. Maybe. That, that, yeah. <laughs> Just a if, hot tip. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. If if they do that, then I'm then I will. I have no excuse for that. Yes. For sure, but I, I I I feel like that is their plan. They're just planning on like the long term, um, yeah. which is gonna suck for now for any Chicago Blackhawks fans if there are still remaining there. But um, but yeah, it, we'll we'll see. Um, but anyways, on, on I feel like we're talking too much about the Blackhawks here. Who's your player to watch? <laughs> um. Well, 
a lot of us have been waiting for him to make the NHL leap, and it didn't happen in Tampa, but it could happen here in Chicago, and I would be referring to Taylor Radish. Oh. Uh, this is a guy currently on Daily Faceoff. As of September 26, he was slated on the uh, second line as a left winger with Taves uh, down the middle and Tyler Johnson as the right winger on that second line. And uh, Taylor Radish, in the 21 games that he did play with the Chicago Blackhawks last year, got six goals and four assists. Three of those six goals were on the power play. Uh, he took 43 shots, so that's a 14 shooting percentage on the nose. Uh, averaged 15.34 per game. And in theory, I think he should get more reps. Um, I, I like Taylor Radish uh, as a player. I think the offensive pop is there. He just hasn't gotten the reps in the NHL to really showcase his talents. And that's largely because of where Tampa Bay was, the position that they were in. They didn't need Taylor Radish uh, to play on their team. The Blackhawks need just about every single person uh, they can grab their hands on, even if it's on the street, to put on a Hawks uniform and just suit up because a lot of changes have come about over the past year, as we all know. More are still coming uh, with the Kane and Tate stuff probably selling themselves out. Um, and you're looking at a guy that um, has world junior experience with Team Canada, has done very well, has been a solid contributor in the OHL, uh, had some uh, decent years in the AHL uh, in 2020-21 with the Syracuse Crunch. He was an assistant captain, and he got uh, 12 goals, 29 points in 27 games uh, during that span. So a uh, quiet leader is Taylor Radish. And I think for a team like Chicago – they need leaders. Like, once Captain Sirius is gone, there goes their captain. Alex Dabrinkit, who they traded away, was an assistant captain. Um, and you look at a guy like Patrick Kane, for example, you know, he's been on that leadership team for a, for a good amount of time uh, in their in their winning years and even beyond that, uh, in yeah. his 30s as well. So uh, Taylor Radish might still be a very young hockey product. He's only 24 years old right now. He'll be 25 uh, next February, but for all intents and purposes, he's still a young NHL player who's very young and inexperienced. Um, I expect that to change this year. He's probably going to get a lot of looks on the top six, and moving forward, he should be a top six forward on this hockey club. Yeah, you know, that is a good uh, choice there. Um, also, I want to shout out. It wasn't a. It wasn't. It was a very hard choice, I will say. Yeah. Because. Uh, <laughs> I've spent all this time uh, trash talking the Hawks. It's just like, okay, uh, yeah. now I need to find a player who's worth talking about outside of uh, Patrick Kane here. Well, well, there is Seth Jones as well too. He is, like I feel bad for him because he signed this long term contract <laughs> last year, and then yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I feel bad for him too. He yeah. was a minus thirty seven last year despite getting yeah. fifty plus points, which uh, shows you the status of the team right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no, but uh, Radish is a good choice here. I was. I was thinking you might talk about Max Domi, um, who might have some options. Like he, he's always been, he's been very inconsistent in his NHL career, but like he could have some good. Like he might ha he'll have some top six potential here and probably play with Patrick Kane. So he could I would get love that, it if Max Domi resurrected his career yeah. and just got his game back in track in this yeah, one nice. year, just to show that he can still yeah. put up like. 50, 60, 70 yeah. points on a consistent basis and just get himself 
back onto a contender. He won't yeah. be in Chicago beyond this year, I think. Yeah, probably not. But uh, for the time that he is here, I, I hope offensively uh, he can flourish and he makes the most yeah. of his chances here. Because as far as I'm concerned, in order for him, uh, if he wants to remain a top six forward in this league, this might be his last shot. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to talk about uh, Athanasiu. Uh, he's similar to Max Domi. He's been kind of inconsistent with along with like Max Domi, but he'll probably get a pretty good shot here in Chicago. It's like his last shot to make an impression in Chicago. Um, and then uh, Colin Blackwell's another one. Um, and then lastly, I do want to shout out Lucas Reichel. Um, and he yeah. uh, he had an incredible he had a point per game I guess it is incredible yeah fifty seven points in fifty six games in the AHL he also did pretty well in the German league um, I don't I don't think he's going to be a another Drysital or another Tim Stutzla but he will probably be on the same line as Patrick Kane uh, he could have that potential to. Um, to be like have some Calder votes uh, this year, um, it'll be interesting to see if like Patrick Kane does go. Like, how will Lucas Reichel play? Um, but yeah, he he's been pretty good at every level so far. So I imagine that he'll be pretty good in Chicago as well. So he he could be your future like best player on the team once Patrick Kane's off. Um, all right, so now we talk about Colorado. They won the Stanley Cup. We go from worst to best, um, which is which is fun. Um, so they added uh, Gorgiev, um, his, Alexander Gorgiev. I almost forgot his first name. Um, Evan Rodriguez, Brad Hunt, Anton Bleeth, and Lucas Sedlak. They uh, lose Darcy Kemper, Nazem Kadri, Andre Burkowski, uh, Nicholas Abe Kubel, Ryan Murray. Jack Johnson, Kiefer Sherwood, Jordan Gross, and Dylan Sakara. Um, yeah, they won the Stanley Cup last year. Of course, they also have the bet one of the the top five best forwards in Nathan McKinnon, and probably like a top fifteen in Landeskog and Rantanen. And then in terms of defensemen, they have the best defenseman. It's probably like the current equivalent of a Bobby Orr. He's the closest we've ever seen to Bobby Orr. So he's like, he's just in another stratosphere. He's not like, you could, you could even make a case that it's like in the top five of skaters. It's like McKinnon and Makar are both in there. What's funny though, is like they both have the M last name um, in, to start their last name. And then you have McDavid and you have Matthews. So it's like four of the best five skaters in the league all have M as their uh, first last name there. Um, just a coincidence, obviously, but it's kind of neat at the same time. Um, yeah, uh, Colorado, oh, I guess we should also talk, speaking of McKinnon, um, and McDavid in a way, uh, he, uh, he recently signed with Colorado and extended his contract. Before, he had, like, he was on the best contract in the league making like $6 million. He's still going to make that this year, but next year he's going to make $12.6 million for eight more years. Um, and um, in case you're wondering, McDavid is making $12.5 million right now. Uh, so I, I feel like the twelve point six was just so that he could be have a bit like a slut, like a bigger contract than McDavid. Um, so yes, that, that does mean that 
McKinnon will have more, is the highest paid player um, in the league right now. I assume once Austin Matthews is a free agent, um, then uh, Matthews will be the highest paid player um, in the league. Uh, but um, but yeah, at the moment it's uh, it's Nathan McKinnon, and it's it's hard to say he's it's not worth it. Um, he's been incredible. He's you know he's already a Hall of Famer now that he has a cup, um, and I I think like even with this contract signing, it's like you know like maybe he does start to coast a little bit. But I guess at the same time that's not really in his personality, um, and I, I think like just the fact that he he made this like he negotiated this in his contract it's just like okay like of course Nathan McKinnon has 12.6 like just 100,000 more than McDavid it's just like like okay like that that's like the the truest sign that like that, that it had to be intentional uh for him and um so I, I I think he's just trying to be the best in the league and um even if he has a cup he's, he's just trying to always improve it um and yeah, it's it's probably like he's twenty seven now, and it's probably not going to like he's not going to have this skill level for the rest of his career. Um, so towards the end of it, it's probably not going to make sense. But at the same time, it's like you know, McKinnon is a very good player, uh, one of the best we've ever seen. Um, and yeah, I, I think it will it, it's it's already worth it because you know he's been on a bargain contract this um, entire time. And um, and yeah, you could even argue that 12.6 is a bargain as well. Uh, well, it will be a bargain when Connor McDavid breaks the bank in July 2026 Fair. or the year before that, uh, because well, that's when his contract will expire. Well, I, I was, well, that's why I mentioned Matthews, because Matthews becomes a free agent um, yeah, sooner. Matthews and Marner, I think, will be a free agent before yeah, David becomes. But I, I, I don't. But Marner is not on the same level as those two, three guys. Not even close. Yeah. So. But uh, uh, that that is to say, like it, it might uh, Connor McDavid might not be the next guy to to break the bank right. and set the record. It will be Matthews. But I yeah. think when he does sign his next deal. He will be the highest paid player in the Oh, league. yeah, yeah, yeah for and sure. it could be a substantial amount. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I guess I'm just saying that Matthews is, is going to be the next highest, is going to break this contract. Right. And right. and this and timing is everything if you're the Colorado Avalanche, because uh, not to go too far off, off on the tangent, because we're not talking about the Edmonton Oilers. But let's take a look at Connor McDavid. You look at Connor McDavid's numbers, and – Minus his rookie season, which if he played 82 games, he would have gotten 80 points. Outside of that, he has averaged 100 points over 82 games. And in that ridiculous uh, bubble season in 2020-21, he was on pace for 154 points or something ridiculous. Like he had 100 plus points in 56 games. And just absolute madness. And if you add, like, playoff success, potentially a Stanley Cup over the next four years, you look at what McKinnon's making over the first three years of his deal, which is $16 million per season, that'll be McDavid's cap hit once he signs the next contract, potentially. I really could see that. Well, depends, in, which yeah. case, in which case, McKinnon's contract is going to look like a hometown discount in a roundabout way. 
right. uh, because the Avalanche are going to have him under contract uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, here's here's where I also talk about timing, because Miko Rantanen is going to be a free agent in three years, and Miko Rantanen's current cap hit is nine point two five million dollars. Yeah. Um, he makes six million this year, nine point five the year after that, then six million, and then he potentially hits the open market 19 no trade list for the final two years which is basically nothing um miko rantanen is maybe not nathan mckinnon good but i would say on the scale of mitch marner and he's gonna get 10 plus million easy on his next deal you look at someone like devin tapes who just flat out killed it with the colorado avalanche last year the year before last year he had 31 points in 53 games added six points in 10 playoff games the year before that uh, with the islanders he had a decent amount of points in regular season in 68 games he had 28 points and then he added 10 points in 22 playoff games last year he was close to a point per game 13 goals 57 points in 66 games then he added 15 points in 20 playoff games at 4.1 million He's probably got the best bargain contract out of all defensemen in the league, I would argue. And he's got two years left of that before he's slated to hit the open market. Uh, Fortunately, Eric Johnson's uh, cap is going to come off the books after this year. And unfortunately for him, he's probably not back after that. And you have four forwards uh, becoming unrestricted free agents after this year. Uh, Noteworthy, that is. JT Confer, Evan Rodriguez, who they brought in at uh, $2 million, Andrew Cogliano, and Darren Helm. If Lucas Sedlak has a massive year, then I would include him on that list as a free agent as well. But here's where the Colorado Avalanche, and I think we've mentioned this before, could get handcuffed. Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram are uh, are both restricted free agents at the end of this year. And both of those guys could get a substantial increase in pay if they really break out. And Bowen Byram showed shades of that in the playoffs as to what he could be. Alex Newhook, given the circumstances that he was under, uh, the fact that he was playing bottom six minutes, if he even gets a sniff on the second line and becomes a permanent mainstay on that line, you could be looking at like easily 50-plus points yeah. for, uh, for Alex Newhook this year. So the cap crunch and the need to have affordable bottom six forwards is going to be a consistent theme for the Avalanche because they have so much money invested into their forwards like Landis Cog, like McKinnon. They gave Valerie Nachushkin a lot of money over an eight-year deal, I think it was. They gave Arturi Lekkinen a five-year pact at $4.5 million. Nachushkin's cap hit is $6.125. Yeah. Um, you look at uh, Kale McCarr, you mentioned him in five years. He's going to be a free agent. Same with Sam Gerrard. That's a combined $14 million on the back end right there. And you also have Josh Manson, who they brought in a $4.5 million yeah. cap hit for the next four years. And, A, if, if Georgiev uh, turns into the next Darcy Kemper and he puts up all-star seasons, uh, in three years he could be asking for a lot of money if he – proves to be the consistent goalie that the apps are looking for so there's there's going to be a lot of turnover a lot of change because of the amount of money that's being committed uh to those star players and the sooner that the abs are able to sign those guys the rantanins the mccars down the line 
to affordable contracts, that's huge for them. Yeah. Because once McDavid signs his contract, whenever that is, in 2025 or in 2026, all of a sudden the price tag for every player is about to go up by at least a couple million dollars. Well, in that's my opinion. Well, that's well, that's assuming that the cap goes up, which it looks like it's going that way. But that's yeah, really... the players and the owners are banking on that because uh, yeah, exactly. otherwise you're gonna have buyouts galore. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's that's that's really the the thing that Colorado has to really hope for. I guess it is leaning towards that way, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see um, towards the end of that. Also, I found it interesting that um, Eric Johnson makes uh, six million right now. And uh, Nathan McKinnon's raise is around like six million as well. So it's basically what Colorado did was they took Eric Johnson's money that he's making this year and just gave it all to Nathan McKinnon. Um, so um, yeah, it should be noted yeah. also that Nathan McKinnon's previous cap hit is still higher than the cap hit they're getting both of their goalies. Yeah, Georgiev's uh, cap hit is three point four. Frank Stewart's is two million uh, yeah. on the nose. So 5.4 compared to, I think it was like 6.3, 6.4 was Something Nick like McKinnon's that. previous cap hit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. if you're wondering where they're finding their money, it's uh, probably uh, it's probably on the goalies in the bottom six that are going to suffer yeah. um, for getting McKinnon his bag. But yeah. again, it freaking Nathan McKinnon and he just won a cup. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. And I guess it's like every, like the, the least. It's a pay-to-play game, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like the Leafs have a similar cap structure, the Oilers have a similar cap structure, so it's like it makes sense that the Avalanche are going to eventually turn into that. But yeah, if you want to keep your core around, uh this is how you do it basically. Um and yeah, I just I just found it funny that like like 6 million's the exact raise that uh Nathan McKinnon got. And I get I guess there was reports that Eric Johnson is going to retire after the season, so so maybe like that that is just like how they were able to do it, but who knows? Um, in terms of Colorado in general, um, I think they will uh, do well. Yes, they won't have Kadri, they won't have Darcy Kemper, um, and I am curious to see how Alexander Gorgiev does in like a starter role. Um, but even if he doesn't, like Frank Kuz is a is a pretty good option. He kind of saved them a lot during the playoffs this past year so um he is a good option as well but Gorgiev's only 26 years old which is which is nice and um yeah every it's it's hard to really tell how good Gorgiev can be as a starter so I am curious about that that angle but my player to watch and you kind of mentioned this before but my player to watch is Alex Newhook um yeah. And uh, and as you mentioned before, they don't have Nazem Kadri, and that that was a big reason why Colorado was so good was because Nazem Kadri was like incredible as well. Because it's like okay, when you get you don't have to deal with McKinnon, you don't have to deal with Rantanen, you don't have to deal with Landeskog. Okay, fine, like you know all that stuff, and then it's like all of a sudden you have Nazem Kadri to deal with who's, like, putting up 95 points for, for Colorado. Um, and it, it just makes you, your team that much stronger. So that's going to be another angle where if Colorado is going to take a step back, like, it's it's going to be because they didn't find a center, a uh, second-line center, to even, like, even come close to how good Nazem Kadri was last year. And also their goaltending as well. But 
Um, but it could also come down to uh, Alex Newhook um, because they didn't really get a center this year. Um, I guess they did get Evan Rodriguez, um, and he could be decent for them. Um, and he, you know, he had a he had a pretty good season last year. But um, Newhook, um, he was a uh, 16th overall pick um, in uh, the first round of 2019. Um, 2019 is looking like an incredible draft already. Yeah, and that, that, that could be the steal of yeah. 2019. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Caulfield also went in that draft, so yeah, I guess you could argue that yeah, yeah. he could be one of those. But I, I think I think Caulfield came just or was drafted just before Newhook. Um, I'll, I'll double-check when I get the, the time. Yeah, I think the Habs yeah. are 15, so you're probably right, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Newhook, um, he hasn't looked as impressive this past year, but... You could argue that it's because he um, he didn't get a ton of playing time, uh, but like in the 71 games that he played last year for Colorado, he had 30, 33 points in 71 games. Um, so I'm I, yeah I'm just I'm just generally curious to see how he does um, uh, in the second line because he he did like speak, this is my second Boston College alum that I'm going to be talking about. Because uh, previously, he, um, his uh, sophomore year, uh, he played for Boston College, and he had 16 points in 12 games. Uh, the year of his freshman year, he had 42 points in 34 games, which is very good for a freshman. Um, and then, um, and yeah, he played a little bit in Colorado. He played a little bit um, for their AHL program. And yeah, he's been very good for, for in, every, um, in every league he's played in. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is a very, um, like he, he could really take off or he has the potential to, to really plummet, um, upwards, um, this year, uh, especially cause he'll be on the second line, uh, this year. Um, and then when I look at their draft, let me see here, their, his line mates are Evan Rodriguez and Val Nutrushkin. Oh yeah, I guess Gabe Landeskog is injured to start the year. Um, yeah. But so he'll probably play with um, our Terry Lekunin, um and I would imagine Evan Rodriguez, maybe Val Nutrushkin will be his wingers, uh, one of those three. Um, and uh, Evan Rodriguez can play center as well um, if he needs to. But um, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just curious to see how he how he does because this is like if um, like imagine like you know because like Kale McCarr was a steal at fourth overall that year um if if like Alex Newhook is even close to as good as Nazem Kadri, that's another steal in this in this loaded 2019 draft yeah I mean if you look at uh, the ads on paper there are a lot of guys that you can pin that player to watch yeah. tag on you mentioned Rodriguez uh Arturi Lekkonen could be another yeah. name as well Valerie Nutrushkin, given the career season that he had and the amount of money that they gave him for said career season, um, I'm interested to see how he follows that up. Yeah. But I do agree with Newark being the player to watch because I think he is under the most pressure and he's under the microscope a lot because when McKinnon and Rantanen and Landis Cobb were injured at various points throughout the year, Nazem Kadri was the cog that kept on going. He was right. the driving force of that offense and he didn't skip a beat. And he was the second-line center, at times the first-line center. And part of the reason why guys like Nachushkin and Burakovsky had the seasons that they had was because of the center depth that Colorado had, and Kadri was a big part of that. Yeah. 
that needs to continue with Alice new look now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a huge shoes to fill, but like there is a potential that he could fill them. Um, in a, yeah, in a good and, way. and you look at the numbers uh, of new look. He had 13 goals, only took 113 shots, and that's largely because he only averaged 13.34 per game. Uh, shades of Alexis Lafreniere where they're very top-heavy and they have a lot of bottom six forwards uh, to round out the rest of their roster, but those bottom six forwards aren't getting those opportunities to shine. Mm. Um, and and there, there are other guys in, in, the, in the Western Conference, so, like there are some guys in the Kings, where you'd be shocked the amount of ice time they're averaging and how many shots they're getting per game. But at the end of the day, it comes down to shooting percentage to me. Are you scoring on the majority of your chances? And out of the 113 chances Newhook took, he was rewarded 13 times for 11.5 shooting percentage. Uh, in your second year, I would call that a reasonable rate. Yeah. But now he has to kick that up a notch, and he's going to have a bigger, he's going to have a bigger role, higher leverage situations, more power play time, more ice time in all situations, and he's going to be asked to deliver now. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right, let's go to Dallas here. Um, they added Niles Lundqvist, who we talked about last week, but we can talk about him, I guess, a little bit more. We got, I guess what, when we talked last week, we did talk about Dallas's impact there because they were just trying to replace uh, John Klingberg. Um, Mason Marchman, they added. Colin Miller, they added. Will Butcher, they added. Uh, they lose. Uh, <laughs> you have here Bishop's Caput. Yes, technically yeah. they did, but I mean, he was on LTIR anyways. But um, then they uh, lose John Klingberg, Alex Radulov, Misnikov, uh, Holtby. It looks like he's retiring. Andre Shakara, uh, who's also retiring. Michael Raffle, Blake Como, Bjorg, Andreas Bjorgman, um, Lisperis, and Kawaguchi. Um, I didn't realize Kawaguchi left. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, um, and yeah, uh, there's like three holdouts for, um, in terms of RFAs that have still le- left to sign. Um, yeah. And um, like, I think it's like Nick Haig, Alex Formanton, and Jason Robertson. Um, yeah. Like, Vegas could live without Nick Haig. He is a decent defenseman, but whatever. Alex Formanton, um, Ottawa can live without him. Dallas needs Jason Robertson. I mean, I know that they, they have a decent lineup without Robertson. Like, they still have Hans Pavelski. Um, maybe Sagan can come back. Maybe Marchman and Jimmy Ben are are capable again or whatever. They also but have more importantly, the fantasy owners, Brent. Yeah. Someone think of the fantasy owners, for God's sake. They need Jason Robertson more than anyone else. Yeah, no, I know, I know. There are and, people that protected this guy thinking, yeah. yeah, he'll be signed by October. I'm not worried. What do you mean he's not signed yet? What do you mean he's not signed yet? Yeah. Um, yeah, and like even like Wyatt Johnson, who they have in the system, Maverick Bork uh, could come in uh, to, ta- to replace Jason Robertson's protection. But like... They, they need Jason Robertson. He's on, like, he's kind of, like, one of the most underrated superstars we have in the league. I think there was, like, a stat that he had. Well, first off, he almost had 40 goals this past year. Um, and then um, I think in his career, he's had, like, uh, he has, like, a, a point-per-game pace, basically. 
um, in the NHL. He actually got 41 goals last year. Oh, 41 goals last year. Hold on. Let me yeah. let me look this up while I stall uh, for a bit. It should also be noted he got 11 game winners, and the Stars were in a lot yeah. of one-goal games, so he probably contributed in a good chunk of those yeah, as yeah. well. In his, okay, in his career. Okay, it's not a point per game in his career, but it's pretty close. 125 points in 128 career games. Um, yeah, so, very close to a point per yeah, game, yeah. exactly. But, uh, and he's only 23 years old, so yeah. um, it's incredible. Um, and I, I guess, like, Dallas, you could make the case, because, like, beforehand, like, Dallas had, like, $10 million to deal with before they signed Jake Ettinger, uh, but now they have $7 million to deal with. Um, so may, I know that Anton Kudobin uh, recently pl- uh, played some... some um, um, some games um, in the exhibition, and it, it looks like he's healthy now. So maybe he gets traded, and maybe that can save some cap space room for them, um, or something of that nature. I don't know, but um, yeah, they, they just need to sign him um, and, and figure something out. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, <laughs> I could I could tell you have him on his fantasy team. I have him in two leagues, so I I need him more. Um, Anyways, um, in terms of Dallas, like just as a whole, um, Ettinger, Ottinger was like pretty much had an unreal playoff performance. I am curious to see how he does, um, if he can keep it up in the regular season. Um, and I have a strange prediction that I think Tyler Sagan is going to get 55 points or more this year. I know. Okay. Crazy. Uh, but uh, I, I think he bounces back this year. Um, anyways, um, Steve, what, what do you have on Dallas, and who's your player to watch? So what I have on Dallas is that, like um, Arizona and Chicago, they do have a future. They also have a present, but they do have a future. Yep. And by future, I mean, I'm not talking about but the guys that we've talked about, like Riley Damiani yeah. and Ty Delandria, although and Thomas Harley, although they are a big part of the present and the future in Dallas. But I'm talking about the other guys that we haven't talked about yet in depth. I'm talking about Logan Stankoven, who had an awesome World Juniors and an awesome CHL uh, campaign this past season. Antonio Strange, uh, Antonio Stranges is another one. Maverick Bork is another one. Wyatt Johnson, one of the OHL's top scorers last year, he's another one. Francisco Curie, one of the, the top scorers in the OHL once again. Remy Poirier, one of the best goalies in the QMJHL last year. And uh, Jordan Cairo, um, one of his uh, relatives, uh, Christian Cairo, I believe is his brother, yeah. um, is also uh, in their system, and uh, he's had some OHL success in recent memory uh, as well. And they are going to need a lot of those players sooner rather than later because, of course, you have those Cap hits from Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben looming over them. You have Rupe hints to pay after this year. Uh, so will uh, Ty Delandria and uh, Riley Damiani, their uh, RFAs after this year. Joe Pavelski is a free agent after uh, this year. Uh, so is uh, Will Butcher, one of the depth defense that the, they brought in. Um, and uh, I, I just look at a lot of what ifs on this roster. Like, yes, they bring in Mason Marchman, and they give him a four-year deal, and they're giving him over $4 million per season to produce at the rate that he was producing. 
But there were a lot of talented guys on the Florida Panthers, and they gelled so well together on a variety of different lines. Florida is not Dallas. Dallas is not nearly as organized offensively as Florida. And I don't know if the offense is going to flow for Mason Merchant as well as it did with the Florida Panthers. So that's my primary concern there. Same with Niles Lundquist. If he makes the team, great. He might not. He could start the season in the AHL for all I know. But maybe he's good enough and he makes the team, and that's great. Is he going to play like John Klingberg? Is he going to be getting, like, north of 20 minutes per game, getting those, you know, at worst power play two situations on the back end? Who really knows? Um, and and you look at uh, even guys like Colin Miller and Will Butcher, like, they're good to have on the back end. But, you know, you look at Suter and Iskinen and Essa Lindell as well and Yanni Hockenpah, they have options on defense, but I'm not really sure where the best place is to fit everyone in. And now you also have a new coach because Rick Bonus, you didn't keep him. You bring in Pierre DeBoer. And this is where I give Dallas the benefit of the doubt is because Pierre DeBoer is known for his early success with teams. Within the first year or two, he gets those teams playing well. He puts wins on the board. And once the playoffs start, they start getting results somehow, some way. And regardless of how they do it, they can't rely on Jake Ettinger nearly as much as they did in the first round of that Calgary series because Jake Ettinger was the only reason that series got as far as it did. Like, the, the offense just couldn't keep up with yep. Calgary. Um, and when it was... Even then, they were still giving up too many shots on goal uh, for my liking. Um, and, that, and that adds to the narrative of please sign Jason Robertson because it, if you miss even the first 10 games without him in the lineup, you don't uh, – I, and I know Alex Radulov didn't do much in his final season, but either way, you still don't have a veteran score in Alexander Radulov. You're not sure what you're going to get in Sagan and Ben. Uh, and Rupe Hintz is – at times, an inconsistent score. Uh, he got off to a relatively slow start last year in my book. But Jason Robertson, through and through, has been a consistent goal scorer and a consistent point producer. You need him uh, in your lineup. Uh, I do think Anton Hudobin, um, I, I, I do think he would be a guy to keep around in terms of character. But I think they go with Wedgwood largely because, A, um, they've got better. him at a lower price, and if you're going to give a lot of money to Jason Robertson, you kind of need to manage the cap on that front. Um, and B, I think the consistency of Anton Udobin isn't as good nowadays as the consistency of Scott Wedgwood. Yeah. Scott Wedgwood's a very underrated goaltender, and I think he could be a very serviceable backup to Jay Gettinger. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, uh, while uh, we were talking about... Uh, Fun facts you thought you didn't know and are luckily oh, yeah, you did. Uh, Jim Nill's birthplace is the same as Nickelback's hometown. So uh, if anything backfires on the Dallas Stars, I don't know, just play Nickelback or something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's fair. Um, I um, So two things. One, I, I Kudobin had, like, surgery um, over the summer, um, and I would – like I, I think he is playing, and it is, um, it is cool to see that he's playing. But 
I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that like he's going to retire after a while um, or he just doesn't have it, kind of like what happened to Tuka Rask last year and Ben Bishop the year before. Um, but um, yeah, I, I guess th there was like a reason why Scott Wedgwood was um, is like is probably going to be the backup there. Um, but yeah, it's it's really Ottinger in in net for them. Um, but yeah, it is interesting too, just from the standpoint that like Dallas last year they had four goalies in Ottinger, Holtby, um, Kudobin, and um, they had another goaltender too, but. Um, but like Oninger played in the AHL to start and then now he's the starter there and all the other guys are either retired. Oh, Bishop was the other one. And all three of them are either retired or contemplating retiring. So, um, it's, um, yeah, it's just, uh, interesting how a year here works out. I also, um, you did mention Wyatt Johnston. Um, I don't, I wonder if he plays this year. Because what, what's incredible is, well, first off, they drafted him 23rd last year in the 2021 draft. Um, and the thing is, is that at the time, no one had heard of him, really, because uh, this was, uh, like, his draft year was when the OHL took the year off. And Wyatt Johnson didn't even play at all. And then this year, I just checked, uh, he not only led the OHL in points... He led the CHL in points, um, and and that's with like he's 19 years old, and he took a year off uh, because of the OHL, um, and he didn't even like play in any other leagues or anything like that. So it's just it's incredible that he was able to like be that amazing. And like Dallas may, if if Wyatt Johnson can translate his game into um, the NHL. Um, then, yeah, Dallas got a steal in that draft um, by far. I, um, I even said, like, um, one of my uh, fantasy hockey league mates was, because uh, I drafted him in one of my leagues this year, um, and um, one of my um, league mates was messaging me that Mark Savard, who's uh, Y Johnson's is a coach um, in the OHL, uh, Mark, Mark Savard, who, of course, played with Patrice Bergeron, um, Savard said that uh, he thinks that Wyatt Johnson is even better than Patrice Bergeron, which is, as a Bruins fan, it's just like, really, Mark Savard? And then at the same time, it's just like, okay, this is Mark Savard. He probably knows what he's talking about. So um, it's high praise, but if, if anyone can say that, it's, it's Mark Savard. Um, so anyways, um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I thought I would throw it out there um, into the ether. Um, Okay, so our next team we're talking about is Minnesota. Um, oh, wait, no, uh, you, did, uh, you didn't do your players to watch, right? Um, who's your player yeah, to watch? I, I don't think I, I did. Um, see, I, 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 I can't really think of another name, so I'm just going to say Mason Marchment. Again, okay. like I said, I alluded yeah, to him option. before. The, the guy that they're paying four-plus million over four years, they're expecting him to get that Florida production. I'm interested to what he does with Dallas's offense under the board system. Uh, they need secondary scoring, not named Jamie Benn, not named Tyler Sagan, not named Jason Robertson, not named Rupert Hintz or Joe Pavelski. 
I'm looking right at Mason Marchman, so he's my guy. Yeah, that, that's a good option. I What do you think of a bounce back for Tyler Sagan? I, I've given up on Jamie Ben, but what about Tyler Sagan? They need him. They need him <laughs> to bounce back. If they get 60-plus points, that is a huge victory. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they, they might. Uh, they might. Uh, I, I mean, I think, he, he was second in the team with 218 yeah. shots on goal. I mean, 24 yeah. goals over that span. I, I can see him getting 30-plus if he keeps shooting at that rate. But, yeah. again, I guess it all depends on how the offense flows. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, the way that, like, Jamie Benn plays or when he was really good – like it doesn't translate towards later in life like he has to change his game a little bit because he you know he's a power forward he tends to hit a lot um whereas for tyler sagan i i think it's just a lot of it was just recovering from injury so um he'll be a couple of years he's a year removed now he's going to be two years removed from the injury um i think he he could he could be back. I don't think we're expecting him to like get fifty goals again or whatever. But yeah, no, no. I think but, those, but, those, I mean, hey, if Chris Crowder got fifty-two goals against yeah, Tyler, I guess that's fair. Get 52 yeah, yeah. Goals, uh, yeah. But it, it would be a stretch to suggest that. But I, I will say before we go on. To I, I well, record, well, I was just saying like I could see him getting like at least like thirty goals. That that's still yeah, good. no, at least thirty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I put money on. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will, I would like to see more of is better plus minus from Dallas's stars. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> Jason Robertson was a plus sixteen. Joe Pavelski was a plus eleven. Rupe Hints was a plus fifteen. That's terrific. Alex Radulov no longer in the team, but he was a minus twenty. Tyler Sagan minus twenty one. John Klingberg now on the team. He was a minus twenty eight. And uh, Jamie Ben, uh, I don't know if I mentioned him, but uh, minus thirteen for him. Yeah. Uh, they they need a better plus minus from their top six, not just one line. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so we now talk about Minnesota. Uh, they add Philip Gustafson, Brock Faber, Sam Steele, Andre Schuster, Nick Patan. Um, you added Jesper Wallstad, even though he's technically he's drafted. Um, Under contract. That's why I, guess, I added him. Okay, I guess that's that's fine. Fair. Uh, Pavel Novak, um, they lose uh, Kevin Fiala, uh, Cam Talbot, they lose Dmitry Kulikov, Nico Sturm, Nick Bukestad, Jordy Ben, and Nicholas Delorier, and Ivan Lodnia. Um, yeah, they, um, they're, they're, Minnesota's an interesting team because, of course, they have, like, the standout in Kirill Kaprizov. Um, and then, um, and they, ha- they also will have Matt Boldy and I think Marco Rossi is going to take over, or at least he'll be a rookie this year, uh, for them. Um, and then, you know, they also have another young defenseman in Kalen Addison, who they got in the trade a couple years ago. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then they have like, you know, Joel Erickson Eck, who had a decent year, Ryan Hartman, um. I, I don't know, I guess, like, um, and then they have Marc-Andre Fleury, so they have him there, they have, as you mentioned, Wallstead. Um, they're kind of cursed, in a way, because they're still, they still, like, because they bought out Parise and um, Suter last year, uh, they are, they're going to be in cap hell for a few more years now, um, and... Um, and, but at the same time, they have a really, really deep prospect pool. As I mentioned, they have Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy's another one. 
Jesper Wallstead, Brock Faber, Liam Olgren, who they got in the draft, Yurov, who they also got in the draft this year, uh, Kalen Addison, who I mentioned, Carson Lambos, who they got last year, um, Adam Beckman, Ryan O'Rourke, Marat uh, Kuznadinov, um, as well. So they, they have like a decent pool of guys, and they're going to have to rely on those young guys uh, to bring them forward into the next level. And in a way, like Kaprizov's still pretty young. He's 25 years old. Um, but like if because of that Parise and Suter contract, they're going to need to rely on a lot of their prospects in order to, um, if they want to make it to the next level. Um, and I think they could do it, because especially with Wallstead, Rossi, and Boldy, um, and Addison as well. I, I think all five of those guys could uh, bring Minnesota in. Then you're like, all of a sudden, you're cooking with gas for, for Minnesota, especially when you add Kaprizov to the mix. Uh, Ryan Hartman had a really good season, um, and Zuccarella um, as well, who's, um, we were critical of his contract before, but he's actually been pretty good. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, they're, they're in a, they're in a bad situation cap wise, but they could, they could, uh, if their prospects are as good as they are hyped, then yeah, I could see Minnesota winning the, uh, the Stanley cup in like three or four years. Well, I would, I would pump the brakes a bit on that because Matt Dumbo is going to be a free agent at the end of this year, and I'm not so sure if uh, they can afford to keep Matt Dumbo because, you know, those buyouts, yeah. those sweet, sweet buyouts are not doing them any favorites whatsoever for the next three years for both a Zach Parise and a Ryan Suter. 6.371 this yeah. year, 7.371 next year and the year after that and then finally it goes down to under a million for the final three years but for the next three years it's over 6.37 million per player yeah out of those two so it, it definitely adds up and oh by the way once those hefty buyouts end uh, you have one year left of Kirill Kaprizov at his nine million dollar cap it so <laughs> have fun uh trying to sign him after that um at that point, Matt Zuccarello's contract will expire. So will Marcus Foligno's. Uh, Joel Erickson, fortunately, he's locked up long-term. They don't have to worry about him. But Jordan Greenway could hit the open market. Same with Ryan Hartman, who had a freaking unreal season. Yeah. We talked about how good Matthew Boldy's rookie year was uh, and how much of a bounce back Matt Zuccarello had. Ryan Hartman's year last year was a freaking revelation. Freddie Goudreau producing at the rate that he was producing as well. They bring in Sam Steele to hopefully uh, bolster some of their forward depth. I like that move a lot. Um, Philip Gustafson is the backup to Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. Maybe they get Anton Hudobin uh, if they can afford him uh, to, to bolster their, their net minding. Uh, if Gustafson is, in fact, not the guy. Or, like I said, like I said with Jesper Wolstead, there is, if if he gets off on the right foot in the AHL and Gustafson struggles, I can see a chance that maybe they bring him up to the NHL level and see what he has behind yeah. Flower, because you never know, they just might need him. Um, but, but, yeah, overall, I look at this Minnesota team, and I see, on paper, a fun team to watch. And I've heard in hockey circles that, man, Minnesota's such a boring-ass team. Like, they're... 
they're just like mill toast. Like they're they're a good defensive team. They can they can win games, but yeah. they're not fun. They're not enjoyable. They're not a venue that you flock to unless you know, of course, you live in Minnesota because the local fans there support their team hardcore. Yeah. The one thing that I will say about Minnesota, and it's I I say it because we talked about how good Colorado's offense was. And I think I mentioned this in the playoffs when we were previewing their first round matchup with St. Louis. Minnesota scored over 300 goals last year. Yeah. Minnesota, I think, to be more specific, had 310 goals for. Uh, St. Louis had 311, so almost dead even with the Blues uh, on that front. And you compare that to the Colorado Avalanche, who scored 312. So you look at Colorado and you compare that offense to St. Louis and Minnesota, Minnesota's neck and neck with the best team in the league on paper, mm-hmm. arguably, uh, at the end of the playoffs, of course, but uh, a top three team uh, in the whole freaking regular season. So I'm not saying they're going to get 300-plus goals again because they did lose Kevin Fiala. That's a tough pill to swallow. But they still have Ryan Hartman in the picture after a big season. You have the potential of Joel Erickson. You have Matthew Boldy. If Marco Rossi is every bit of hype as he is proven uh, in the AHL last year, he had a good AHL season. Uh, maybe Minnesota is is still a top three threat in the Central Division, but it's not going to be an easy task because you know. Nashville uh, has kept some guys around. Um, you still have Colorado there. You still have a fully loaded St. Louis scoring uh, that can run all four lines. Um, they're going to have their work cut out for them, but I have faith that uh, Minnesota offensively has what it takes to keep up. It's the team defense and the goaltending yeah. uh, beyond uh, their veterans that concerns me the most. Well, so I think that, th- well, first off, you were talking about how like Minnesota had this reputation of being boring i don't think anyone thinks they're boring anymore um because, i mean jacques lemaire in the jacques lemaire era like that was about as mill toast as it gets yeah but, but it was effective it was yeah. effective hockey but it wasn't fun well but, well because i i but real kaprizov has changed everything about yeah. that offense yeah well that's what i was about to say yeah i think like no like i i do remember that time when like people were saying like oh yeah minnesota like they're not they're a boring team but like yeah, you, like now with Kaprizov, he's a, a very entertaining player to watch. But you also add in uh, Matt Boldy, um, who I'm about to talk about. Marco Rossi, um, if he is as good as they say he is, he's also exciting to watch. Uh, Caitlin Addison's another one. Um, and then you have Jesper Walstead. It's like those five prospects plus Kaprizov, it's like all of a sudden you're like. Uh, like I, I think Minnesota has the best uh, prospect pool in the league, um, and yeah, all of a sudden you're just like if all three, if all five of those guys are as good as they are projected to be, then yeah, Minnesota could be the next Colorado, um, um, very, very, very easily. Um, and um, so my player to watch here is in fact Matthew Boldy. Uh, you did mention that Kevin Fiala is gone and he's going to be a huge loss for them. But, uh, and this is another guy who uh, played, uh, who uh, was drafted in 2019 
He was also, um, he also went to BC. I guess all my players to watch went to BC uh, this Boys. episode. I guess I am a little bit, which is funny because I'm actually, I root for BU, um, really, but, or Northeastern, but it is, which are like BC's two biggest rivals. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked here. But you can't deny that Matt Boldy uh, took took off the in the NHL by storm. He joined in like January and um, in those, um, the rest of the time, so he's like a 20-year-old, basically. Um, he had, uh, in 47 games, he had 39 points. And um, on average, he had 15 minutes of ice time. Which, uh, so, like, if that starts to pick up, it's like, <laughs> that. that's like a, I think that's like a 70-point pace, basically. Um, or close to it. Um, high 70-point pace. And, like, and then... And then you add, like, Kaprizov, who's a superstar already. Um, yeah, I think this team, like, will, like, who will be questioning, like, wait, who's Kevin Fiala? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Matthew Boldy's could end up being, like, the, the X factor for this team right now. Um, what's interesting, though, is when I'm looking at their depth chart, I don't even see Matt Boldy on this list for some reason. Um, is he on... The daily faceoff. Oh, he. They have him as yeah. A third Matthew Bo- on daily faceoff, he's the second line left winger with oh, Marco okay. Rossi down the middle and Freddie Goudreau on uh-huh, the right. Okay, okay. Uh, for some reason, they have him as a third line right winger um, on cap friendly. I don't get that. But um, okay, well that that slot yeah. is occupied by Tyson Yost according yeah. to Daily Face. But it, it's weird because Matthew Boldy, I don't think he plays right wing, so it, it's just strange. But anyways, um, I I'm a big fan of him. He's also like, uh, he hits a lot too. Well, I guess he doesn't hit a lot, but I I thought he hit a lot, but he he doesn't hit a lot. Never mind. But um, but yeah, he's he's going to be a fun player to watch this year. Um, if like, you know, I guess there, there is potential that Marco Rossi isn't going to be, um, like, you know, like he did, he did have a great, uh, AHL season, uh, where he had, uh, 53 points in 63 games, uh, in Iowa, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you never really know with, um, with Rossi and you know, like, you may not make the team and all that stuff, but. I feel like Matthew Boldy is going to make an impact this year in the NHL. If you have yeah, already. I I I uh, I think he's already made an impact yeah, to be honest. Fair, fair. Um, with with the rookie season that he had, but I I think this year you're right, Brett. He's going to prove that last year wasn't a fluke, and yeah. he is that good, and he is a key part of Minnesota's top six. Uh, I'm just interested to see the chemistry with Marco Rossi. Uh, if he is in fact that second line center, or maybe maybe they pair him with Joel Eriksson Ek. Yeah. Um, and if Ryan Hartman isn't doing well on the top line, maybe that impacts uh, the chemistry for the other lines too. Ryan Hartman, to me, and yes, Joel Eriksson Ek um, got 223 shots on goal and scored 26 goals. And I would argue the upside, like he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he can do. Yeah. But Ryan Hartman, like. Third on the team in shots with 239, seven game winners, only one power play goal. He had 34 goals on the air, 65 points, and a plus 31 rating as well in 18-11 per game in all situations. I'm I'm just 
I mean, I hope it's not a fluke, but I'm just wondering, can he keep that up season by season? Is this version of Ryan Hartman here to stay? And if it's not, then it could impact uh, the chemistry of all four lines. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's interesting, too, because, like, last year, during the bubble year, we were, like, Joel Erickson-Eck um, really broke out, and, and that was because he was playing with Kaprizov. Um, I feel like it's just the Kaprizov effect, because, like, I didn't realize this. Zuccarella had 79 points in 70 games. Um, I assume that, that a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was playing with Kaprizov on his line. As good as also Zuccarella is. Also second in power play points with yeah. 28, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, like, as good as Zuccarella is on his own, he was good in the Rangers. And, you know, I remember at the time we were kind of critical of that contract that he signed. Um, and now, it, 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 you know, he's, he's been more than worth it now. Um, to the point where he might be underpaid. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I wonder if it's like if Kaprizov misses a significant amount of time, I wonder how good this Wild team will be. Um, yeah, that, that's the real question. And that's more of a credit to how good Kaprizov is compared to, like, what I actually think about Minnesota. So uh, just to take a look at Kirill Kaprizov's numbers last year, he was fifth in points with 108. Yeah. If you look at his goal totals, he was uh, tied for fifth with Kyle Connor uh, with 47 goals. Uh, his 61 yeah. assists are good enough for 13th uh, league-wide, 14 goals, 31 points on the power play, and his 209, uh, 289 shots are good enough to put him ninth, just above Brady Kachuk uh, on that league list. So you're basically looking at a top 10 player in the important offensive categories league-wide. That's what you're getting with Kirill Kaprizov last year. And, um, you know, they're, they're probably going to have to expect that again if Minnesota hopes to have a yep. shot at doing anything uh, if they get into the playoffs and if they want to get past the first round. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, we'll go to Nashville now. Um, they they added Nino Niederreiter, which I forgot about, Ryan McDonough, Kevin Lincoln, John Leonard. Uh, they added Zach Sanford, Gravel. I think that's Alexis Gravel, is that right? Uh, Kevin Gravel. Kevin Gravel. Um, Jordan Gross, Mark Jankowski. You, you added Kamel um, and Askarov. Those guys... Were drafted. Kamel, I can understand, but he's not going to be playing this year. Um, and Askarov, I don't think he's going to be playing this year. He might play next I year. I added them because they were signed entry level contracts. Okay, but I mean, technically, the only reason why. technically, he's not on this ad Te- list. Technically, they probably won't play, but it, I would say they're under contract, so I can't say it's. Well then, that, that's fair. But then, why didn't you put them on the keep list, which is right under? <laughs> yeah, that would make more sense. You're right. Okay. <laughs> um, they lose uh, Philip Myers, David Riddick, Luke Coonan, Matt Oliver, uh, Nick Cousins, Ben Harper, Matt Benning, Matt Luff, Rocco Grimaldi, Jeremy Davies, and David Ference. I guess David Ference hasn't been signed anywhere, which is it's kind of crazy that they didn't even qualify him. Uh, but um, anyways, um, the uh, yeah the um, I mean I did like that Kamel draft that they had. Um, yeah, Nashville is a weird team. I feel like because last year they they made a trade uh, to get rid of Arvidsson. 
they made a trade, uh, they made another trade uh, to, um, they offloaded another another player of note, but um, I'm blanking on that. And it seemed like they were going to be rebuilding. And then Roman Yossi has an incredible year. Yeah, Arvidsson and Ellis were the guys. Ellis, yeah, that's the other guy I was thinking, right? And then... Um, in hindsight, they look pretty good with the yeah. Ryan Ellis move right now. Right, right, true, true. And, like, Roman Yossi has, a, like, not only a career year, but, like, a career defenseman year. Um, and, um, I mean, I guess, like, it just so happens that Kim Lacar also had a career defenseman year, too. But, um, and then Matt, Matt, um, Matt Duchesne bounced back. Uh, Ryan Johansson bounced back. Um you, you got to see Tanner Janot, uh break out. Um, and, and yeah, all of a sudden, like, Nashville is looking pretty pretty good. Um, so it's like, I'm, now I'm not even really sure um, if Nashville is rebuilding or if they're going to make the playoffs this year. Um, they do have a good prospect pool, um, Askarov most notably. Um, and I, I do like that move with Joachim Kemmel because he was going to be a top 10 pick, a top five even pick. Um, I think I saw like boards that had him as like a top three, top five guy. And then he just slowly went down and all of a sudden he was uh, drafted by um, Nashville um, in the 17th, 17th overall. Um, but uh, so they do have like a good, decent prospect pool. But, um, yeah, it's, it's weird, too, because it's like, oh, do they, like, are they actually going to make the playoffs this year? I'm not sure. I mean, and you also have UC Saros as well. I forgot to mention that, of course. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're an interesting team. I mean, you look at their numbers last year, and if you talk about interesting teams, I think this is yeah. probably the most interesting team out of them all. And 96 points by Roman Yossi, so close to 100 points. I really wanted to see that. Over 280 shots, which for a defenseman is a lot of shots. And uh, average 25-33 in all situations per game. 11 goals, 37 points on the power play. Uh, Below him, you have Matt Duchesne with 228 shots on goal. So a noticeable dip in shots on goal. Uh, 19-01 per game in all situations. I didn't realize there's 16 power play goals by Matt Duchesne and 29 power play points. That's crazy. Uh, 43 goals and 86 points across the board. So good bounce back season for him, a career year. Uh, Philip Forsberg, who they uh, gave big money to, 42 goals, 84 points in 69 games. Very nice. Uh, 10 goals, 27 points on the power play. He only took 226 shots, so just a bit less than Duchesne and averaged almost a full minute less per game than Matt Duchesne did. And then you start to get to uh, the fourth highest shot on goal total. It's Ily Tolvanen with 151. So 226, and then you go to 151. And this is a guy that averaged now in 14 minutes per game, um, got 23 points, 11 goals in 75 games. Uh, then you take a look down the list and you see names like uh, Tanner Janot with 124 shots. But the funny thing about when we get to this part of the list is the shooting percentage is actually pretty good. Uh, Tanner Janot took 124 shots and he scored on 24 of them. And only two of those goals were on the power play. And five of those were actually game winners. 
Uh, his shooting percentage, get this, 19.4%, and he averaged just a hair under 16, uh, 16 minutes per game in all situations. Ryan Johansson, another guy who had a bounce-back year, 26 goals, 63 points for him. He had 11 goals and 24 points with the extra man. He only took 118 shots across 16.34 per game in all situations, which means his shooting percentage was, get this, 22% on the button. And Mikhail Granlund, it should be noted, his shooting percentage far less than Janelle and Johansson. It was 9.4%, and he averaged over 24 minutes, uh, and he averaged over 20 minutes per game, 2025 to be exact. But he had 28 power play points, 53 assists, and 64 points across all situations. And he was also only a minus nine. Uh, another uh, guy that is worth noting, Alex Carrier, 30 points on the back end. That was actually pretty decent. Fabro had 24 and 66. I also like that. And both of those guys didn't even get uh, to the 100-shot barrier. They were close, but they didn't they didn't quite get there. Um, so all things considered, Nashville had a very odd team, but at the end of the day, they still relied on Saros a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. And when you didn't see him in the playoffs last year against the mighty Colorado Avalanche, right from the right from the word go in game one, in the first 20 minutes, it was clear who was not winning that series. And sadly for Nashville, it was the Predators. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they're going to be outclassed, even if they're a playoff team, uh, with the way their roster is constructed. I just... Even with their offseason additions, them getting Niederreiter, even though they kept Forsberg, yeah. uh, even though they added a couple of other names into the mix, and while they do have a lot of promising prospects like Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino I mentioned, he's already uh, in the fray as well. Um, there's, there's just a lot to be desired, and despite how good their offense is on paper, a lot of guys had career years, and I'm kind of worried to an extent that the bottom might fall out as soon as this year. Yeah, I was going to mention the fact that they did, like, they did resign Philip Forsberg because there was like speculation that they were probably going to trade him, but I guess they decided to keep him. Um, and then they also get uh, Ryan McDonough in a trade, uh, which is interesting because yeah, McDonough isn't as good as he used to be, but. He's still like a really good shutdown defense. Yeah, he's a good stabilizing presence, yeah. I find. So, so Which I, they need to help out Saros. Right, exactly. So I think like if there is any like positive outlook, it's like okay, they they could be decent, um, if they like, or at least they they made some they made some moves to uh to make that adjustment. So it's like okay, they they're 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 working on the defense side of things, but. Yeah, I also I don't think know. Kevin Lankin is a low-risk, high-reward to an extent yep. because, I mean, call, uh, Chicago's defense was very porous. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, with Nashville's goaltending experience and their team defense, I think he can benefit from that and get his career back yeah. on track. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I'm interested to see what he does there. Yeah, um, totally. Um, the uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I think you, you do know, but this Friday um, – Nashville and San Jose are going to be playing in Chechia um, in a back-to-back -back yes. to start the regular season. Um, so that's something to look forward to 
at the end of the week. Which is interesting, too, because, like, I know Thomas Hurdle is Czech. But I'm looking at their list, uh, Nashville's roster here. They don't have anyone who's Czech um, at all. So it's just, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess. But um, you would think, though, that, like, the Bruins, they have three Czech players, notable Czech players on their team. They didn't make that, they didn't make the cut. It's like Thomas Hurdle, I get. Uh, he's, he's probably a legend there. But, like, come on. Why, why can't we have uh, David Pasternak go into his home country? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know who checked all the boxes and why Nashville, they figured yeah. they checked all the boxes. Yeah, I don't but, know. I, guess I, was th- I was thinking maybe there's, like, a chance that it's, like, because Saros or something or maybe, like, Philip Forsberg, and then I was just thinking, like, and then I had to check. It's like, yeah, oh, no. wait a second. Forsberg Swedish and Saros is Swedish. Right, right, exactly. So not that. So that, that, that doesn't check out. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's weird. Um, anyways, who's your player to watch? Yeah, Jakob Trinan, I thought, so was, uh, was maybe Czech, but he's Russian. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um... I'm, I'm going to go with the guy you ought to know, and that would be Tanner Janot. Um, yeah. I mentioned his scoring efficiency, his knack for scoring the big goals at times. Um, he's, he can even score shorthanded goals. He did that once last year, too. Um, he also got 130 penalty minutes. Uh, and if I recall correctly, uh, when you take a look at the miscellaneous stats, so that's hits, block shots, giveaways, takeaways – um, he had 318 hits, good Jeez. God, in 81 games played last year. A guy that uh, was known for lowering the boom there. Uh, only took 56 missed shots uh, as well, should be noted. So uh, if you if you include the shots that uh, were on target, um, you're, you're looking at around a 200 uh, scoring chance type of guy. And uh, this this is a guy that at the moment is slayed on the third line with Sissons as the center and Jakob Trenin on the right wing. But I know the chance of him bumping off Philip Forsberg, unless it's injury-related, are very slim off the top line. But Nino Niederreiter has been streaky forward throughout the course of his career. If he starts to struggle... Maybe putting him on a line with Johansson and Tomasino isn't out of the question. And I think at some point down the line, you're going to see him as a regular top six forward. And they need him to continue to elevate his game to new heights. And if, if Nashville wants any chance to be relevant uh, come April. So I would say Tanner Janot is my guy to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good choice there. I would also say I think Tomasino might have an increased role this year. He might be pretty good. Yep. Uh, you know, Nitterrider, uh, he's kind of underrated, but he uh, he could be a good, decent depth move for them. And also, uh, two other ones, Cody Glass, um, Loki yep. would be nice, um, and uh, Ely Tolovinen, who they got. Um, Ely Tolanen, uh, I really hope he has his breakout year because I'm sick and tired, as I'm yeah. sure everyone else is. Of That's fair. Just like, we, we're waiting. We, we know yeah. it's coming. We're, I, I think it's like, yes, he was. For a couple years now. I, I, I think it's like he was definitely overhyped uh, before, but I think it's yeah. like, um, but that doesn't mean that like he still uh, doesn't have what it takes. Like, you know, kind of like what, uh, Troy Terry was, you know, like I felt like we overhyped Troy Terry for a while 
and then all of a sudden, like, so then he kind of, like, loses his buzz for a little bit, and now it's like, oh, he's actually, Troy Terry is who we thought he was. It just took a little bit longer, yeah. so that could yeah, happen. Like for, yeah, like I said, previously, in yeah. 13, 26 per game that he played, he got 151 yeah. shots in 75 games. He just needs to execute. He only scored on 11 of those, and yeah. he wasn't getting too much ice time. So, and and at the moment on daily faceoff, I believe he's on. Uh, yeah, he's on the fourth line as a right winger. So, yeah. uh, I would like to see those scoring chances go up, and maybe that's what it takes. But um, I, I still think it's there. I still think the talent level is there to be a top six forward for us. Yeah. Um, also. Um... I don't, I don't know if we talked about this, but uh, it looks like Nolan Patrick um, is out for the year. Um, and they uh, they traded uh, Nashville last year. They traded Nolan Patrick to Vegas for Cody Glass. Um, so even if Cody Glass is like a fourth liner, um, which I don't think he is. I think there is more to his game than a fourth liner, but we'll see. But like either way, I, I think like... It's sad, but I think Nolan Patrick's career is over. Um, but uh, so it's like either way, like uh, at least like you know you get something out of out of that trade, even if like Nolan Patrick didn't even play any games in Nashville. Um, all right. Um, okay. Uh, so St. Louis um, is the next team here. They added Thomas Grice, Martin Furk, uh, Nolachari, uh, Steve Highmar. Um, not Steve Highmore, that's not, Matthew Highmore, Highmore, uh, Josh Levo, uh, they lose Billy Huso, David Perron, uh, Tyler Bozak, Dakota Joshua, Zach McGurchin, James Neal, uh, they lose Charlie Lindgren, and Anas, I don't know, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know Saint who that is. He's the AHL guy that I've been, been mentioning the past couple of years is just oh. like hey watch out for the secret weapon you know and he never gets actually... an nhl time he, he could really put the league on notice but uh That's, that hasn't that. <laughs> yeah speaking of hasn't come up i don't think he's been signed by anyone this year actually yeah yeah wow okay i i never even heard of him even if you you may have mentioned yeah. him i guess but anyways um yeah st louis is uh another interesting team kind of like nashville where it's like I mean, I guess not really. Kind of like Nashville because they're they're still a good team. They've always been a pretty good team. Um, I guess it's more surprising because like there were reports last year that Tarasenko wanted to trade out. Um, Ryan O'Reilly had a. We talked about last a couple weeks ago how Ryan O'Reilly had a like a, a disappointing season last year uh, compared to what we were expecting out of him and like. Um, like, and then you just look at this roster, it's like, yeah, Jordan is really good, and uh, Robert Thomas is really good, Braden Shen is good, too, and, um, but, like, you know, nothing really screams out at you of, like, being like, oh, wait, like, St. Louis actually made the playoffs, and they were one of the better teams this year, um, it's just kind of crazy, especially when you look at, like, how Binnington had a 3.13 GAA and a 901 save percentage, um, and he, he like, um, and he was their goaltender for for thirty seven of those games, um, and it's just like, it's just, so then it's just like knowing that it's just like how did St Louis even make the playoffs? I know Billy Huso uh, was was pretty good for them, so there is that 
that mention, but it's just, um, it is kind of crazy from, from that angle. Um, and then, you know, you have Tory Krug, who's still really good, except he gets injured a lot. Uh, 43 points in 64 games. Mm-hmm. Pareko, 35 points in 80 games. Um, I should mention, yeah, Tarasenko, even though he did request a trade, he kind of had a pretty, he had a nice bounce back season, 82 points in 75 games. Um, if he still wants out, he could. He's going to be a UFA next year. Um, it's just a 7.5 million cap hit, um, but maybe he does want out now. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I do look forward to seeing Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. Uh, Thomas really broke out 77 points in 72 games. Cairo had 75 points in 74 games. Um, but yeah, it's like you look at this roster and you're like, wait, how is this a good team? Um, and how did they even win any games? But, um, but yeah, they managed to do so. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like insult them either. Cause they, um, they like, I, I do understand it, but it's just, I don't know. At the same time, it's just like, um, I feel like this, this team might not be as good as they were last year. Well, if they're going to get the same type of goaltending that they got from Jordan Bennington last year in the regular season, um, they need playoff Bennington in 2022 to show up for the entirety of this year because the type of offense they got last year was just a treat to watch. Uh, Tarasenko with 230 shots, scoring 34 times, uh, was arguably their top sniper uh, by far. But Pavel Buchnevich, uh, he had yep. 30 goals, on one, yeah. and he took 199 shots, so just under 200. He had a very good first impression there. Uh, Jordan Kyrie, you mentioned, he took 188 shots, scored 27 times, and he had a 75-point season. Uh, David Perron now departed, 177 shots, he scored 27 times, so that's a shooting percentage of 15.3%. The other guys that I just mentioned, they were around the 14 to 15% range as well. Ryan O'Reilly, a down year for his standards, 58 points in 78 games, 21 goals, but he took 168 shots, so his shooting percentage was 12.5%. I'd still say that's respectable. Then you get into the realms of, okay, wow. Uh, For a defenseman, 9.6 shooting percentage might not sound like uh, too much for a forward, but for a defenseman, I call it pretty good. 16 goals, 167 shots for Justin Falk. Um, and he added 31 assists for 47 points on the back end. He was also a plus 41. Uh, so if you're looking for the analytical darlings, uh, Justin Falk uh, definitely backs it up with that plus minus. Then you get to the weird and wackies. Uh, Brandon saw it, 24 goals on 158 shots. So that's a 15.2 shooting percentage, averaging just over 16 minutes per game. Uh, you look at the likes of Robert Thomas, who you mentioned, another 70-plus point guy. He got 20 goals, but he only took 115 shots, which means his shooting percentage is 17.4%, and six of those 20 goals that he scored were actually game winners. Um and in fact, he almost equaled the amount of power play goals with his short-handed goals. He had three power play goals, two shorties on the campaign. And that brings us to the two most outrageously awesome seasons that I think I've seen on a team this loaded. Ivan Barbashev and Braden Shen both got 111 shots on goal. 
Ivan Barbashev got 26 goals in that span for a 23.4 shooting percentage, and he averaged 16.26 per game. On his 111 attempts, Braden Shen was successful on 24 of them. So that's a 24, but uh, that's a sorry, a 21.6 shooting percentage for him in 17.47 per game all situations. I don't think the St. Louis Blues are going to replicate that again, but it just goes to show you how many offensive weapons they have and how many different ways they have to burn you. Like, they bring in James Neal. Basically, he's the proven goal scorer on the team in terms of track record. He doesn't do much of anything for them, and you have guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo having career years, and Ivan Barbashev, who, by the way, is entering a contract here. You talk about guys that could be in line for a serious payday if they have another big season, I would put him on that list as well. So, um, again, all this to say, they can't afford to rely on that type of goal scoring, that type of point production again. So you're right, Brett. um, It all comes down to Jordan Bennington here because how far this team goes ultimately comes down to their goaltending. And now that they don't have Billy Uso and uh, they have – Granted, a capable backup, but an aging backup in Thomas Grice backing up Bennington. They're expecting Bennington to be the guy, not Thomas Grice. And I think it was the same way with Yusel last year. I think they were still expecting Bennington to snap out of it and emerge as the guy. But as Bennington started to get better, Yusel was still above and beyond the best goalie on the team. And they can't have that continue for a guy they're already paying $6 million per year to be that guy. And they have five more years of that. I can't believe the Bruins lost to Jordan Bennington. It's unreal. <laughs> like, every, like, like it's, it's just unreal. Um, he just lives rent-free. By the way... He does. I, 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 will, sure, I, I, I will admit sure. he does live rent-free in my mind, yes. <laughs> every single day. Just, just like Nassim Country lives in St. Louis's heads rent-free. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They probably still hate him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what's interesting too is because it's like I love Tory Krug, so it's like I, I like. There's one player that I love on this team, and then there is, and I, I also like Pavel Buchnevich. I, I did forget to mention him when I was talking about them, but I also love him. Tarasenko, I like too, but it's just like, like it's just. I, I can't get over the fact that Jordan Bennington, he's like, he didn't even have a 900 save percentage this year. He had a sub 900 save percentage. Ugh. I could, I could deal also, with it. Uh, it, it, it. They're hoping Jordan Bennington's the guy. They also can't have him be a hothead every yeah. game. Well, that, uh, that's got to stop. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. And that's the other thing too, is he's yeah, like an, Im- he's an immature little baby. Eight, too. I mean, I'm a realist. You, yeah. you, you can't be losing your cool every 10 games. But, uh, yeah, well, what what happened to uh, – he, he famously said that uh, he's never not nervous. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, not nervous was the yeah. quote. Yeah, do yeah. I look nervous? Do I look nervous? He does look like, nervous, but he looks pissed. And <laughs> yeah, so that's – yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's worse than being nervous because that harms your team, yeah. I, I would argue. Um. So there is a common theme in my players to watch, I'm realizing. And not this next guy did not go to Boston College, but he did he did have a really good college hockey career. Um, and that's uh, Scott Perunovich, um, actually. Okay. Um, and uh, so Scott Perunovich, 
Uh, the reason why I bring him up is like, yeah, he had six assists in 19 games. That's not like anything too crazy, but he got injured uh, for like the last half, uh, like the second half of his career. But in the AHL, he had 22 points in 17 games. He also comes back into the playoffs um, and plays and is becomes like the power play quarterback for St. Louis. Um, and he has uh, six points in 19 games. Um, and what's interesting is, is like he'll, he'll probably play again with the Blues. And I think the reason why he even got some opportunity um, in St. Louis was just because he, because um, Tori Her- uh, Crew got hurt. Um, and I think Justin Falk was also hurt. Uh, but that brings me to my next point. Uh, Justin Falk has uh, five years left um, on his contract. Tory Krug has five years left on his contract. Uh, Colton Pareko has, um, like, I think eight more years left on his contract. Um, and then you have Nick Letty, who has four more years left on his contract. So even if Scott Perunovich is good on this season, like, <laughs> like contract-wise... Um, it's, it's going to be hard to find a fit here on, on this team. Um, and uh, this uh, Scott Perunovich did win the uh, Hobie Baker, which is the best college player award, um, I, I think in like 2019. Um, so, so he is talented player and he's like, he's too good in the AHL, but like, I'm like, I like even currently he's like a healthy scratch on a cap friendly, I, th- I would assume he's also a healthy scratch on daily faceoff. So it's just like I, I am curious to see that, like, um, if it he says can. He's day to day. Brunovich is day to day. Oh, he's day to day. But um, okay, interesting. But like, I, I feel like even if he is healthy, he'll probably be healthy scratch. But like, there will become come a point when he's going yeah. to play into the lineup. And if he plays in the lineup, he might be, like, too good that they can't take him off. And um, I just, I'm curious to see who they bump. And um, and if he is as good as expected, like, he's, like, he could be their, A, their X factor. But it's, like, also, like, he, he could be, like, a good option for, I guess I could see him maybe, like, a replace Nick Letty on, on the lineup. Um because he is a left-handed uh, yeah. defenseman, um, but uh, yeah, I am curious to see how like what what happens with Scott Perunovich, just because like he has an interesting roster thing and the way that like a lot of those defensemen for the Blues have long-term contracts. So I am curious how he's like how they're going to handle that in the future. Of course, that's all considering he plays well. And it kind of reminds me of how Tory Krug got into the league because he uh, Krug made his mark in the playoffs um, and he was the power play quarterback um, and he kind of took over Chara's role because Chara used to take over, be that power play quarterback. And then when Krug came in, it was like, okay, so Krug's going to be the offensive defenseman now. And so I wonder right. if maybe like, like and and Perunovich is a very similar player to Corey Krug. They're both five nine, um, scarily. That oh wait, is that true? Yeah, they're both five nine. They both uh, played in college hockey, um, and were good in college hockey. 
and now they're both on the same team. So it's like if you're going to be mentored by anyone, Tory Krug's a good guy to to be mentored by. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious to see how Scott Perunovich does uh, this year because he could. Um, he has. A, I, I I don't want to say that he'll be like a Kale McCarr type player, but um, he is following that same kind of tra- trajectory. The year is 2020, 20, uh, 2025, and uh, in the midst of all their depth problems on defense they decide to trade Scott Barinovich to a team that needs his services and then the bottom falls out and everyone in St. Louis goes boy we sure could use Scott Barinovich nowadays couldn't we yeah basically yeah (laughs) it could happen it could could happen but yeah I mean I I figured I could like talk about Buchnevich because he's kind of underrated or um I mean I did talk about Thomas and Kairu but um or Tereschenko, but uh, yeah, I, I figured like Perunovic is a, it, it is a very interesting uh, situation here in St. Louis. So I'm just curious to see if like where where he's going to be development wise this year. Um, yeah. It's also interesting too because Dauber prospects they have a guide every year that like highlights all the top prospects from a fantasy yeah. perspective and also in like a real life perspective, and they ranked him as the uh, one of the best prospects. Um, or the best defensive prospects. So I was just like, that, that's, that, that seemed very interesting to me. Like, even higher than Owen Power um, and a couple of other guys. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Um, all right, uh, let's go to Winnipeg. It's our last team here. Uh, they added Sam Gagne. They added David Riddick. Uh, Stenlin and Capo Bianco, Kyle Capo Bianco. They lose... Yeah. Uh, Paul Stasny, they lose Nate Ballou. Um, Ballou, I didn't realize he's still in the league. Um, or like, like he even played last year. Um, Eric Comrie, they lose. Uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov, Zach Sanford, Adam, and Adam Brooks. Um, yeah, they also add... Um, Their captain also lost his uh, captaincy yeah, that's right. on his yeah, sweater. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and um, Rick Bonus is also their new coach. Um, yes as well um so the um yeah this 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 winnipeg jets team kind of took a step back last year um but they're still like a good team like they still have kyle connor um who had a unreal season last year um he had uh let me look just quickly here um he had why can't i find oh here he is uh 93 points in 79 games i think that's pretty good 47 goals um and then um, Mark Scheifele, 70 points in 67 games. Ellers had 55 points in 62 games. Um, they have Pierre-Luc Dubois, 60 points in 81 games. He kind of bounced back. Um, Blake Wheeler, I, I actually, that's interesting. I thought Blake Wheeler didn't have a great year, but I guess not. He had still had 60 points in 65 games. Um, that's pretty good. I guess the thing is, is that like uh, Connor Hellebuck wasn't as good as he were used to. Um, and that kind of like fell off. Um, but like, even still, like he had a nine ten save percentage, um, and a 2.97 GAA. So if like, that's the worst case scenario of Connor Hellebuck, then you're doing pretty well. Um, I guess that's like easier said than done. Maybe he needs to play less games potentially. Maybe that's possible, but, um, and then, um, and then you have, um, their defense wasn't spectacular either. 
Um, they had Neil Pionk um, taking a step down, 34 points in 77 games. Josh Morrissey did step up, though, 37 points in 79 games. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess the, the Winnipeg Jets are... They're a weird team. I, I feel like they could, like, I wouldn't be shocked if they make the playoffs. I also wouldn't be shocked if they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're another one of those, like, Nashville-type things where it's like, okay, how what what is this team really? Yeah. Uh, I, I would argue they're more of a question mark than Nashville is because at yeah. least a lot of Nashville players had career years and they were a playoff team. But yeah. uh, it seemed they were, again, similar to... Well, I guess similar to Nashville, uh, they were leaning on Keltner Hellebuck way too much, except they paid the price more often than right. not, and they couldn't keep up with uh, the scoring. Uh, Kyle Connor didn't have any problems scoring goals, though. He had 47 goals in 79 yeah. games, and he even finished the year with 93 points. Easily a career high. Also had 317 shots on goal. So by far and away, their best offensive player as far as numbers go. Uh, Mark Shifley, people talk about how lackluster of a season Blake Wheeler had. Blake Wheeler had 60 points in 65 games. Mark Shifley had 70 points in 67 games, but um, they were combined minus 32. Uh, Blake Wheeler was minus 15 on the year. Shifley was a minus 17. Uh, not nearly uh, good enough uh, from, from, from the standpoint of you know, keeping the puck out of the net and being on the right side of the score sheet. Pierre-Luc Dubois did have a good year. 15 power play goals, 28 in all situations. Uh, he had 60 points in 81 games. Uh, the shot totals were pretty good. He had six-game winners as well. So uh, he he had a promising uh, step forward. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, uh, in the 62 games that he played, he had 55 points, 28 goals. He was also plus 18, which is good. And he... Uh, put forth 245 shots on target with only nine power play points. I, I would say that's a pretty respectable year there. Uh, Paul Stastny, who's now departed sixth best scorer on the team with 21 goals and 45 points. Uh, Andrew Kopp no longer there. He was traded at the deadline uh, to the Rangers as our most former Winnipeg Jets, or it's the other way around, looking at you, Kevin Hayes, and... Um, there's another name that I'm blanking on. Patrick Liney. Uh, Jacob Truba is another one. Patrick Liney. Um, Patrick, uh, he didn't go to the Rangers, but. Oh, guys who went to the Rangers from Winnipeg. Guys oh. who went to the Rangers or went from the Rangers to the Jets. They, oh, they, yeah. they already have, you'd be shocked to find out yeah. how much of a trade history those two teams have. And they're yeah. out of conference. But anyway, story for another day. Um, Overall, I think their depth scoring wasn't good enough to get it done either. Um, and unless they address that, uh, that's probably what's going to hold them back uh, from the playoffs once again. And I have more question marks than ever before, largely because they have a new coach. They don't really know who their captain is now. Um, and they're expected to put forth a good season with the roster that they have uh, with a lot of their core guys aging and, the division they're playing in, that's going to be a very tough task to yeah. deliver upon. Just to even make the playoffs would be a tough task. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, who is your player to watch? Uh, my player to watch, I would say, is Cole Perfetti. Uh, yep. Largely because on uh, Daily Faceoff right now, he's listed as a second-line uh, contributor uh, with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois as the second-line center and Blake Wheeler as the second-line right winger, Perfetti being on the left side. Uh, it should be noted that... 
out of the limited action that he saw in the AHL. Cole Perfetti did pretty well with the Manitoba Moose. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, he did so well. He was a point-of-game player. I think it was uh, seven, uh, 15 points in 17 games, so close to a point-per-game player, six of those 15 points being goals. Um, he took 48 shots in those 17 games, so a respectable uh, average shots per game, like we're talking around three to four shots per game there, which is good. Um, for a guy that's uh, trying to get his feet wet as a professional hockey player. And even got some meaningful ice time in the NHL. Uh, even though it was only 14 minutes and 9 seconds per game, he did appear in 18 games. And he got two goals and five assists, seven points in those 18 games. Was it terrific? No. But, again, given the fact that he got that limited ice time, he had 21 shots and he scored on two of them, um, it's a respectable sample size to at least see what he can do. I'm more so interested to see what Cole Perfetti can do because regardless of whether his role is on the second line, the third line, or the fourth line, he needs to deliver for this Jets team in whatever offensive ways that he can because they need that secondary scoring to really, really shine. Like I said before, if it doesn't, they won't be a playoff team. Simple as that. Yeah, uh, Perfetti would probably be, if I were uh, picking a player to watch for the Jets, I would probably pick Perfetti as well. I, I agree with that too. It's like their their top six is pretty uh, legit with like Shifley, Connor, Wheeler, Ellers, and Dubois. But then if you add like, okay, they need another guy, then it's like, okay, Perfetti might might end up being that, that sixth guy um, that they need. Um, yeah. I also wanted to mention Billy Hanola. Uh, I think he could he could stand out too uh, on the defensive side of things too. Um, all right. Um, in terms of the playoff predictions, um, who do who is your one, two, and three for the Central Division? Ooh. Uh, well, um, the good news is I know who, who my number one team is going to be, and it's still going to be the Avs. Um, even with the, the major chance to go through, they have a new number one goalie. Um, anymore, it's likely the number two center now. Um, even though they don't have Burakov, once again, and I'm going to take it one steady one goaltender on this hockey club. I really do uh, believe that uh, he can get 30 wins on this team just because of the guys like I've mentioned, Gail McCarr, Sam Gerard, Devontae's, a shutdown defenseman, a hard hitter, and Josh Manson. Um, I think Georgiev is going to be in a spot where he's going to thrive, and all he needs to do is just stop the puck. He doesn't need to be Patrick Waugh. He just needs to be good, make the key saves when called upon, like Darcy Kemper did. And if he's able to do that, I like uh, the Avalanche's chances of being a mighty force in the league once again. At worst, they're going to win this division. As for the second seed, this is where it gets tricky because very little separates Minnesota, St. Louis, uh, Nashville, and even Dallas. Dallas could be yep. a solid wild card there. Um uh, if Marc-Andre Fleury struggles, that could be problems for Minnesota. 
if Jordan Bennington struggles well, uh, they have Thomas Christ to turn to. Like I said, they also have Joel Hofer in the minors. You never know. Maybe maybe they bring him up if Bennington gets hurt and he turns into the next Jordan Bennington. Who really knows? Um, except maybe not as hot-headed. Uh, so I'm going to pick the Blues just because of their offensive depth and the depth that they have between the pipes uh, beyond Bennington. I think it's good enough where they can go through the regular season and be a solid two seed. Um, but it's going to be a very thick crowd and there's going to be a lot of lead changes in terms of seedings and positionings. Um, I think it off from an offensive standpoint, Minnesota is just as good as St. Louis is, but I think defensive depth and goaltending depth are what's going to win St. Louis, the second spot. Uh, they were only four points back in Minnesota last year, so you could argue they were solid enough to earn that spot, that second spot in that division and home ice in that series. And even then, they were still still able to beat Minnesota. So yeah. um, I guess second seed doesn't mean much. But anyway, if I had to pick a third seed, I'd probably go Minnesota just because everyone on Nashville, it seemed, had a career year. I doubt that happens again. And there's a lot of question marks with the Boer and the Stars. So I'm just going to play it safe. I'll go Avs at one. I'll go Blues at two and Wild at three. Yeah, yeah, I don't hate that. Yeah, it's it's tough with, like, I mean, I think, well, so I have Colorado at one. Um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement. Like, yeah, I know that Gorgiev is, like, now going to, we're going to see it. This is his first year as a true starter. Um, but even if he fails, like, I, I think Franco's is, is going to be a decent a goaltender for them. Um, and, like, of course, it's, like, it's hard to doubt McCarr and McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen and all those guys that they have. Um, and, yeah, I, I think a lot – and I, I do have hope that Newhook is going to be that guy uh, to take over. Um and then I have uh, for two and three in the central, I, I think I'm going to go with Minnesota um, as the second team. Um, I I know like Mark Andre Fleury isn't as good as he used to be, but I, I still think that he'll be good enough. And I I I think I I, I think Marco Rossi will I guess spoiler alert for our Calder episode, but I think uh, he'll. He'll be he'll get some votes there in the Calder if not win it, um and that's basically who I said to yeah. watch out for Marco Rossi last year. And basically, yeah, it could be one of those years where I yeah. just said you're just a year early, late. So. Yeah, yeah, you're a year early. Um, and Matt Boldy, as I mentioned before, in, yeah. in when I talked about him as well, and of course Kaprizov, um, you know he doesn't hold out, and I mean he's in America now, so uh, there's no like question marks there, so. Um, so yeah, I have I have uh, Minnesota at two, um, and also like Spurgeon and Matt Dumba are both very underrated defensemen. Um, yeah. So I, I think they um, like they, they have a pretty underrated defenseman group as well. But I, I think it's like a lot of it will also have to do with like okay, a lot of their young guys are going to take over too. Um, and then third, I um, I know this this is probably like a risky pick, and I get it. I get why. But I'm gonna say three is Dallas. Um, okay. I, I think it's more like I could go with St. Louis, um, but I am worried about Jordan Bennington. Um, even though they do have a good offensive group, I agree with that. Um, and Nashville, 
like you mentioned, yeah, UC Saros and Roman Yossi uh, could do it again. Um, but I'm not sure that the other players on that team are going to do it again similarly. Um, and, um, and yeah, Dallas does have its question marks, especially if they don't sign Jason Robertson this week. Um, but, um, but I, 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 you know, I, I think I'm like hopeful. Maybe it's just the Boston Homer in me. I, I think I, I still believe that Tyler Sagan is going to, uh, it's going to bounce back. And that's a big reason why I think they're, they're going to be third in the central. Um, before we before we uh, sign off here, Brett, uh, do you want to hear a hot take of mine before we do? Sure, yeah, on that. Yeah, I, how can I say no? <laughs> I boldly predict that Arizona will do better than Chicago in the standings this year. Yeah. Chicago is going to be last, and Arizona will be seventh. Yeah, that is pretty hot. I will not, yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. Um, Hawks are going to lose a lot of assets, and they will fall off a cliff in the second half. Arizona's only going to get better. I think they established their identity in the second half. We saw them get wins in the second half and show what they're capable of being. Uh, they might not look like an intimidating team offensively, but I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. At the very least, they're going to get close to 30 wins. Yeah. They won't be anywhere near good enough to do much of anything in the grand scheme of things, but they're at least going to be better than Chicago. I will agree that Arizona is going to be better than we think, but I will not. I, I feel like they're still going to be pretty bad. Uh, okay, I'll remember this in April and we'll see. Okay. Is that like a threat? <laughs> it feels like a threat. No. No. <laughs> I'm just debating if I should put money on it, but then I realize every time I put money on something, I, yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I instantly I would, I would not. not yeah, I would not do that. Um <laughs> But I am pretty confident in saying that. I, okay. I think Chicago's year is going to go horrible. I'm sorry to every Blackhawks fan that has to witness it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not going to go that far. I know that Chicago is not going to be good, but um, I'm not going to go that far. Um, okay. The um, But that that's about does it here for us at uh, Lace Them Up. Um, you're, you can follow us on... Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. You can follow, uh, subscribe to us on Facebook at Lace Them Up. Our uh, podcasts are uh, on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elsworth. We'll talk again in episode 337 when we preview the Pacific Division on the Lace Them Up Podcast.